it's a very special week for you. You're now on the on the dole for both Google and Microsoft. <laughs> very cool. Was, was, by the time this episode airs, that'll have been last week. Oh, last week. Cool. We're in the future then also. Yeah. Thanks to Facebook for sponsoring this week. <laughs> Dan is referring to last week's Daring Fireball RSS feed sponsor, which was Google, who took the spot to uh, advertise job openings for uh, their iOS apps, which I think is actually a fantastic sponsorship. I think that I think that they're. I hope they do well. I hope they get some good. Ca- if they get one good candidate out of it, they'll be delighted. Yeah, it's actually really smart, and I'm actually surprised more companies haven't been looking to do. I mean, you know, there are job boards like right. there's that one that uh, a lot of the sites use, um, but companies like Google and and Apple too, and and all the big tech companies spend so much money on recruiting, it's not even funny. So, and it's more um, and more because it's really a. Uh, I, they all all say that it's their biggest, the, one of the biggest problems they have right now. Oh, totally. Especially engineers. I mean, they're willing to buy them for like a million dollars each in these hires. Yeah. So surely uh, a few uh, blog sponsorships here and there are good investment. Yeah. Uh, but it actually, it inspired me to get out my old, the, the only Android device in my house, um, which I've actually never used until today. It was, it's a, a Nexus 7 that, that I don't even know how we got it, but so long had passed between receiving it and uh, trying to use it that it had actually been bricked um like i i i plugged it in for a month and it still didn't charge at all and then today randomly i'm i'm like throwing stuff out and i was like oh i should just throw out this stupid nexus 7 that never worked and i plugged it in and it started charging so who's to say uh i've spent the last six hours uh doing software updates on it and now it's ready to go <laughs> So I'll get to experience the joy of Android 4.4, I believe. Yeah. I don't know. I think the Nexus 7 is the current 7-inch tablet, isn't it? Well, this one is definitely not because it doesn't – I don't think it runs the uh, – what is it, KitKat or something? Right. Um, this is definitely a few few years old. Oh, so wow. maybe there's a new Nexus 7, but this is like the first generation. Um. Cool. We can good stuff. We can quibble about or talk about. We could probably make a whole show about what the names of these devices are and the problems of the way that some of the some of them are named. Uh, Apple, you know, right up there with them. Um, like with the way that they've switched to calling iPad. You know, at one point they just called it iPad. Now it's just iPad Air and iPad Mini. Um, the the new iPad. Right, the new iPad for a while. Um, yeah. Uh, with Google, it seemed like with the Nexus, they started naming them after their sizes. Like the Nexus 5 is a 5-inch phone, and the Nexus right. 7 is a 7-inch tablet, which is kind of cool while they're new, but then gets confusing it, it, You know, if they come out with a, a new one. like It says right here, I'm at the Google site, and it says Google Nexus 7. So I presume there have been more than one tablet with the name Google Nexus 7. Like yeah, I guess you. I have no idea, but and it's funny because um, Samsung does that with their tablets; they do the size, but then with the phones, they do like the Galaxy S five goes in order of number of releases, like the iPhone. So, right, Samsung. I don't know. Yeah. So I wonder. I, yeah. I wonder if we'll see the end. I wonder. I you know, 
like for example, will there will there, will there be a new phone this year called the iPhone six, or are they finally going to sp- split to you know? Yeah, I was just going to ask you that too because uh, the what is it, Patchkowski report on was it Friday that that the or sometime this week. Or well, now it's two weeks ago. What? <laughs> yeah, all right. This month. Know, this month. Right. This month. Sometime in August, um, the report that that September is going to be the iPhone event, but no, you know, doesn't say iPhone six. Right. Uh, yeah, he would. So who know knows? That, though. However, he, however, he got and his stuff on events is gold. I don't think he's ever had a bad report on. No, those I don't think so. Um, but wherever that would be, we'll get to that in a, in a second. Right, wherever that <laughs> wherever that comes from, though. I mean, presumably, I always presume that he's got somebody in Apple PR who who gives him that stuff. But uh, uh, whoever that, it is, that's my guess too. But I have no idea. Whoever it is isn't going to give him the name of the product. I don't think no. they ever deliberately leak a name. They put the date out there just to sort of you know, yeah. They want that out there as sort of uh, you know, let everybody know what's coming. Without actually committing to it, right? They could back out at the last second, and Patchkowski looks bad, but but the Apple doesn't. Uh, yeah, but they wouldn't I, give I the mean, name. I guess it seems weird now, but do you remember, like even the day of the iPad launch, no one really knew what it was going to be called. Nope. Like people were doubting that it would be called the iPad. Nope. Yeah, I totally that, remember that. That was, I think, that was one of the names that had been thrown out there. Yep. Because of what, a, like a domain registration or something like that. Well, and I think I think some people came up with it naturally, just because of iPod. Oh yeah, right? true. And and pad seems like a natural thing for a pad sized device, and everybody immediately dismissed it as sounding like a tampon or something, like a feminine. Right. What was your name? It was the uh, the slate or something. No. Ooh, I actually glass. Forgot. No, I forget what no? I suggested. It wasn't iPad though. Uh, it wasn't glass. No, it wasn't glass. Huh? I forgot. iTab? Did I suggest iTab? No, no. I don't think it had an eye. Yeah, I'm kind of sick of the eyes. Yeah, that's. Uh... I don't remember. Although that. the eye actually makes more sense for these things than because I stood for internet, right? Like a, that was the, a, the iMac was the internet Mac. Supposedly, I mean that's how yeah. it was introduced with the iMac. Is that it was the first Mac built for the internet age, and I think that the iMac was the first i product. Right, it was. You know, but then again, they say it was made for internet, but then the one that really cemented the deal and was a decade long foundation of the company, the iPod didn't get internet access until the iPod Touch. Right, it had nothing that- to do with the internet. Exactly, but then it, the iPhone it fits perfectly because. That was like the first phone that actually did the internet better than it did the phone. Yeah, I think, I think what's happened though. I think it's never explained, never talked about. But uh, like the undercurrent is that lowercase i capital product name just means Apple product. That's it. Yeah, it's, it doesn't really have any other connotation other than that. Just means Apple product. Right, like the, everyone and everyone calls it the iTouch still. Right. Which yeah, maybe that's what uh, maybe that's what I suggested I've, the iPad name be. I found an old post, but I, I am not going to read it while I'm talking to you. That's rude. Ah, oh, you could do it. We could edit it out. I don't even know. It says it's called the tablet. Yeah, that's the piece. I, the December thirty first, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I suggested the Z post. Well, you say I, everyone I, I know at Apple refers to it as the tablet, but so far as I can tell, that's blah blah blah. Yeah. Most certainly not the name. Right. Um, I had, I had, 
predicted it would be the iPod Touch HD, which was, you know, not ultimately not. That's kind of what it is, but that's ultimately not obviously what they called it. Uh, I don't remember. I don't know what your. Uh... All right, whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, but speaking of those event dates, uh, something weird happened this past week where. <laughs> You like made an you made a typical John Gruber offhand comment, you know, s- seemingly knowing comment about some sort of wrist device coming next month. Well, I was cracking a joke about the Motorola the Moto two seventy watch, yeah, and how stupid <laughs> it looks on the side. Two eighty five. I think we measured and it was two seventy. Oh, oh, okay. Cool. I go with two seventy. I like that. Sounds good. And it's around. you know that the bottom of the circle is cut off, but it charges on its side. And so when you're charging it, it's like the, in watch terms, the uh, like eight, nine, and ten o'clock side is cut off. But for some inexplicable reason, even though they cut off that part of the circular display, they decide to show the charge as as a circular meter around the perimeter, which which means that's you know somewhere between like seventy. When you're in between seventy and ninety percent, you have you have no idea. Whether you're closer to seventy or ninety, they just cut it off, and they're shipping it. They're going to ship that product. So I was cracking yeah. a joke about that, and I said uh, I should actually quote it because I guess it's the exact language I chose, which is unfortunate. Uh, I wrote the only way this could get funnier would be if it doesn't even ship until after Apple announces their wrist wearable thing next month. And then, and this is now. This is a backstory on this. This is true. You know, my description of the talk show is the director's commentary on Daring Fireball. Um, so here we are. I posted that. This is that was Friday, and that we, my family and I, were in uh, Orlando, Florida, after after a week or so of, of theme park fun. Uh, on, I think I was on my way to the airport. I don't know. Either on my way to the airport or at the airport when I posted that. Um. And what was your intent? You were just goofing around. Well, or? I wanted to be like, if if the the watch the wrist thing comes out ne- at next month's event, it would be funny if because but Motor, Motorola is promises that it's going to ship in this summer, which gives them till like September twenty first, um, and they haven't announced it yet. And I think it's going to look really really bad as soon as Apple unveils whatever it is that they're working on. And I think it's almost certain at this point that Apple is working on something, and it's almost certain that it's going to be announced this year. And if it is announced this year, uh, it'll almost certainly be announced either in September or October. I don't know when. Right. And then adding to this was that I don't know if it was published shortly before your post or shortly after, but Pachkowski posted, you know, citing sources, whatever, that it's going to happen in October, period. The the wearable thing. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought he posted that oh, back yeah. in June. He updated oh, that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let me look. I thought he posted that like June sixth, that it that they were shooting for an October date. Well, maybe that was an old article. But someone IM'd it to me, and they're like, "Who do you, who's your money on Gruber or or, <laughs> or Patchkowski?" Well, my my money would be on Patchkowski. People seem to think I'm I'm more prescient than 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 I am. And I know, I do know that I have a terrible, terrible guilty habit. I should be, I should be guilty about it, but I'm not. Of of when I do have information, coyly putting it out there without a source, as as though it's my own speculation. Uh, 
Oh man, this is from June sixth. Yeah, it's from June. I got 6th. punked. I got punked and played. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was published like at the same time as your thing. Right. So. Well, and he, and if you read it, he didn't say uh, Apple is going to announce it in October. His June sixth thing said Apple is shooting for October yeah. to release it. You know, meaning you know. Who you know? Well, it was June. I mean, they still had a lot of work. To, whatever it is that they're that they're working on, June means they still had a lot of work left to do on it. Right. And anything and, that and, the, and like in the last several years, they've had basically the September event and the October event, and you know, right. If 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 it's not ready for September, you can do it in October. Right. But if it is ready, and if it's you know, if this is the kind of thing that is being pitched as an iPhone accessory, right. basically. Then why not show it off in September? I don't know. But well, anyway, read this. If you read the sentence that I wrote, I wrote the only way this could get funnier would be if it doesn't sh- even ship until after Apple announces their wrist wearable thing next month. And then when I wrote that, I even thought I should probably put something if they announce it in September instead of October or something like something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's, anything like that takes the piss and vinegar out of the joke. And I didn't totally. write when Apple announces their wrist wearable thing next month. Because if that was the clause I was thinking about writing, I would have used if instead of when. Yep. If Apple announces the wrist wearable thing next month. So, And the whole thing is also further complicated that I was doing it from my phone, which makes me lazier. <laughs> it does. It, it's, it makes me lazier to rewrite a sentence. Whereas if I was at my oh, desk, yeah. I might, you know... I did notice that. I noticed that someone could read that as me saying that they're definitely going to do it in September. I thought, nah, no one will do that. Everybody knows I'm making a joke about the Moto 360. Um, it's like a two and a half hour flight from Orlando back to Philly. And it happened to be a plane with no uh, Wi-Fi. <laughs> so I had no idea. I had no Wi-Fi. There was a hashtag, John. It was, has Gruber landed? Has Gruber yeah. landed. Uh, and I get off and it had gone like bananas. It was like top of tech meme John Gruber yeah. confirms iWatch is going to be uh, released in September. I was like, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> and then Some I, more Fridays, man. All right. And then, you know, it's like 10 o'clock on a Friday, and I'm, I'm like, I guess I should p- update it. And I thought, no, nah, fuck that. I'm not going to update it because I didn't say that. I don't s- let the other people look foolish for reading too much into it. Yeah. Uh, and there's too much, it was like too much to update because I do think I'm certain, well, not certain, I'm certain that they're planning to uh, announce it either in September or, or October. I don't know that they will. Anything can happen at the last minute, but I, I think that they'll have two events just be, mainly. And this is one thing I, I often forget is even people who like read my stuff, you know, listen to the, I don't know, maybe people who listen to the show are more tuned in, but there's so many people who read Darren Fireball. Um, and follow tech period, but who don't seem to pick up on the very, to me, very obvious patterns of Apple as a company that, you know, I say this with a lot of, I repeat myself on this, but they're a company of annual patterns and they do break them sometimes. You know, the iPhone used to be a thing the first few years that came out in June, uh, or early July, very early July. And then it switched to becoming like a late September thing or announced in early September released two weeks later. And once they switched that, that they stuck to that, and they've stuck to it ever since. And the last few years, they've had a September event with the iPhone and an October event with the iPad. And I just assume that they'll probably stick to that this year. And therefore, that they've got two events. One of the, And if they're going to do the wearable thing, 
they'll have to pick one of those two events to to you know include it on. So I you know I don't have anybody who's told me that I don't know nobody told me that I'm just you know working it out myself. I do think it's very in some ways it makes sense because the other thing too is it's not just that they have to pick one of the two events and find time for it, but their events typically have like a narrative that runs through them. And if they're announcing more than one thing, they figure out some kind of way to tie it together in the show as part of like one story. And I kind of feel right. like, like a wearable wrist thing sounds to me like something that would be easier to tie in with new iPhones than with the iPad. Yeah, especially if it requires an iPhone to be used. Right. Well, we can talk about that later because that's a question. Yeah. But I do think, though, that even if... Or at least if it goes best with an iPhone. Yeah. And if, others... it's, if it's an accessory, if it's a $200 iPhone accessory, you know, show it off with the iPhone. Right. And the, uh, the, the new iPads last year came with the M7 coprocessor, too. But it certainly makes a lot more sense that, that if the storyline is about health and fitness tracking, right? The health kit sort of... You know, going health kit expanding from a little 90 second spot during WWDC to here's why we're doing this, you know, 90 minute presentation on, on health and fitness tracking with a bunch of partners, et cetera. Uh, it seems to me like that would fit more naturally with the iPhone and new iPhones that also have, or I guess maybe have an M8 fitness, you know, or activity tracker than with the iPad, which. You know, it's. I, I feel like they included the M7 on the iPad because why not? That's probably not a very expensive component, but I don't think tracking your feet based on your iPad is going to give you, you know, your footsteps is going to give you a very accurate count. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if it and if it needs any sort of Bluetooth connection to a device to sync to the, you know, to your cloud kit, right, or cloud whatever your iCloud account is. That's most likely going to be an iPhone and not an iPad. Yeah, it, it probably could technically be an iPad, but my guess is that the majority of people will sync with an iPhone. Right, and further complicating this is Yosemite. Not complicating it, I, I would say almost clarifying it is Yosemite, which last year the Mac OS X update shipped in October, not September. Um, and I think the year before, right? Or maybe not. I don't know. I forget. I'm, I'm but I know last year did, and I know this year it seems to be tracking behind iOS. And Mark Gurman of Nine to Five Mac said it was an it was going to come in October, which it makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, and it just doesn't make sense to it, assuming you know. It also even if it were ready, it just doesn't make sense as part of the iPhone uh, event. Whereas it makes more sense as the iPad event because iPads and Macs are a little bit more similar overlapping. Mm -hmm. And so if they're going to do a – and that's what they've done the past few years is sort of repeat the Yosemite thing from WWDC. You know, like here's these 10 features we think you really want to know about in Yosemite. And, you know, for some of us who pay close attention and remember the WWDC keynote, clearly it's a little bit of a repeat um, – but for people who haven't been paying close attention, which is, you know, part of the whole message, you know, whole point of marketing is, you know, to repeat your message to get it through. Uh, that's what they do. But I presume that's going to take up a big chunk of the October event. Especially if there's a 12-inch paper-thin MacBook Air Retina ready to go to. <laughs> yeah, but I don't... <laughs> there runs an A8 chip. No, that's not, right. not going to happen. Yeah, which but. I don't expect. Uh, all right. So I found a post uh, on Business Insider that says... 
quote, canvas, a perfect name for Apple tablet, says Apple God John Gruber. I wonder who may have written that post. <laughs> oh, that was me. Look at that. Um, anyway, yeah, canvas. That was the... Uh, well, that's, that's in hindsight, that sounds stupid. That's why they don't let me name things. But but uh, iPad sounded stupid, too. Yeah. Yeah, maybe if they called it Canvas. Well, I don't know. I guess the one thing the one thing about iPad in hindsight is it somehow makes it feel like a sibling to iPhone in a way that if they called it the one thing iPhone and the other thing Canvas that they wouldn't seem like they're as aligned. Yeah, and especially, you know, with the notion that they were going to rename iPhone OS to iOS which I think was was that before that? No, or it was that? after. After cuz it would have been yeah. a giveaway before. Well, the iPod Touch, but yeah. Oh, yeah, but they still called it i they never seemed to hesitate to to uh to make it clear that the iPod Touch despite its name was an iPhone without a phone. Yeah, iPhone OS 4 named renamed iOS 4 2010. Right. So, yeah, I, that's true. I mean, and and circling back to what you said of, you know, back 10 minutes ago, you know, it's true that nobody no not only do people not know the name of the first iPad in 2010. Nobody even really knew there was no confirmation, no leaks that it ran iPhone what was then called iPhone OS. Like I I'd sent a footnote on my piece the tablet um where i wrote i would not be surprised to find out that the tablet uses ui kit aka coco touch as its programming api like i kind of thought it would because it seemed to make sense to me but no i didn't nobody knew there weren't any kind of leak nothing leaked out of them my favorite was a article i think from nick bilton uh where he said that the tablet interface would surprise you. It was basically like, get ready for a big surprise. About You will be very surprised by how you interact with a new tablet. <laughs> I don't know. Which is like... I don't know who told him that. That doesn't seem... Yeah, I don't know. doesn't seem... My, right. my illustration was, was a, uh, a woman with a, with a crazy brain helmet on, like a brain measurement helmet. Right. That, <laughs> that would have been a very apt description for the original iPhone. But yeah. it's not, you know, it was, in fact, I guess it's, we could really say it's wrong given how many people came out of the iPad intro with, I can't believe we got all excited for that. It's just a big iPhone. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I actually did a roundup uh, before the iPad was announced of kind of artist renderings of what it might look like. And there's actually one that looks exactly like the current ipad mini hmm. by uh jesus diaz of gizmodo oh yeah it, was, it looks l- exactly like today's ipad mini uh it did not look like the first I- ipad but it was kind of funny so i so some of those renderings of of uh, whatever the iWatch is going to be called might be somewhat accurate someday in the future but i don't know yeah i do wonder about that I do. Have, I heard I, one thing. Well, you know what? Let me take a break about for sponsor, cool. and and we'll get back to it. Um, and let me tell you about our good friends at Backblaze. You guys know Backblaze. They are online backup, unlimited, unthrottled for your Mac computer. 
you sign up for Backblaze, you install their software, which was written by ex-Apple engineers, totally cool, very nice native Mac software, little thing in system preferences, set it up, stays out of your way, just runs in the background, and then everything on your Mac, even external drives you have plugged in, just backs up to Backblaze's online hosted servers. Takes a while for the first backup, especially depending on your upstream thing. There's no no getting around that. Might take a while. Might take a couple days. Maybe even a week, depending on how much stuff you have to get that up there. After that, everything's incremental. Just stays backed up. Then you can do whatever you want. You can restore one file at a time. You can restore all your files. Disaster strikes, or you're you're across the country but need your whole system. Uh, you don't know what to do. You can get them to uh, put your whole backup on an external drive. You have to pay for it, but then they'll ship it right to you. Get it all right back in your hands right away. Uh, they have iPhone app, so you can access and share any of your files from wherever you are. You don't have to tunnel through anything to get to your own Mac. Your Mac could be sleeping in your backpack offline. You can just use your iPhone and access Backblaze's stuff and get any one file that you need. Send it off. Send it off from the iPhone app. Great, great software. Uh, you get a risk-free, no credit card requi- required trial. Nothing's wrong, I don't think, with a credit card required trial. But it's, of course, it's better without one. Because when you put your credit card in, you think, oh, that means if I forget when the trial's up, they're going to start charging me. No, you don't have to worry about that. You just sign up, no credit card required trial at backblaze.com slash daringfireball. And get started. You get a whole month to see how it works. And I guarantee you, by the end of that, you'll be giving them your credit card. You're going to want to sign up. Uh, and the whole thing, it's it's five bucks a month. Five bucks a month for each Mac that you want to have in your Backblaze account. Uh, it, it's the best deal I, I've ever heard of for online backup. So my thanks to them. Remember, go to backblaze.com slash daringfireball. They keep sponsoring the show because people keep signing up. I can't believe everybody hasn't signed up already. I actually have a Backblaze pro tip because the first time I, you know, that first sync obviously is going to take a long time because there's whatever, a terabyte of data, but it was going so unbelievably slow. I didn't know what was wrong. It was like, you know, would maybe do a hundred meg a day. And it turned out that my stupid iMac was falling asleep after whatever, 10 minutes each time. Ah. And that was interrupting the upload process somehow. Um, so I turned sleep off and boom, it was done in like two days. Yeah, just have it set to display to sleep your monitor. Yeah. yeah. So and maybe it's because it's an old, old ass iMac that you know, yeah. with the spinning hard drive and all that stuff. But try that if if it's if you need it to speed up. I have heard one whisper. I mean, and this is horribly a this is like third party, third hand, just something floating in the wind but that the uh, whatever the wearable thing that they have coming out that it has a square display hmm i don't even but, I, I wouldn't so i would so it has a display that's what i've heard that it has yeah. a display which to me is interesting if it's true because that it implies a lot of things i think because if it has a display to me that means it's gonna it, it maybe it is more of a watch type thing i i've declined to call it a watch and i've certainly declined to call it the iWatch. um not because I know that it is not a watch. And I've seen people on Twitter speculate on that, that I call it a wrist-wearable thing. Um, 
that doesn't mean that I know that it's not a watch. It just means that I don't know what the heck it is. And I don't know that it is a watch. I just know that they're working on a wrist wearable thing. Yeah. But I've heard that it has a square display. Hmm. Well, I think that I think it kind of has to. Well, I yeah, I don't know. I the, the those mock-ups that you see where people make it like the whole band is a flexible display and it's a lot of it is display. They look cool as a um as a mock-up. But I think they're problematic if you think about it in practical terms because which way are they oriented? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if if you know, if you've seen those mock-ups, but if it's just a band and like the whole top half of it is a color display to get a lot of text, you'd have to turn your wrist sideways. Otherwise you just have a real skinny display. That's real tall. And I even had some stupid ideas where like the display part pops out and you can spin it. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, so I, I don't know. I don't remember the last time I talked to you about this, but uh, I, I, did a story a few weeks ago for Quartz where I dug up every Apple wearable that they've ever shipped um, and posted photos of it, you know, dating back to the old iPod remote, which clipped onto your shirt. And actually, my favorite were, were the Sony mini disc remote controls, which I didn't, I don't think I posted in the article, but they were awesome. Um, they had like little display on them and they clipped right onto your shirt. Uh, but then also Apple, you know, has done obviously earbuds and the iPod Shuffle series, including you know three or four different designs of the iPod Shuffle, including one that they had kind of screwed up and had to revert course, and and then of course the the last one was the iPod Nano, which people made watch bands for. Yeah, not the current which, iPod Nano, right? The previous iPod, yeah. Nano. I've got one which, of those in my hand right now. Yeah, which which is surprisingly similar. Obviously, you know, many years have passed and technology has improved. But those like LG and Samsung watches just seem like they're that. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe Apple was like, "Oh, this is brilliant. Let's uh, let's shift course on the iPod Nano, and we'll we'll come back to this watch thing and make it look just like this in a few years." But I don't know. You know, it seems to me like if that was the right course of action, they would have just kept with it. I think it was called uh, the TikTok, T I K, T O K. It was a it was an early Kickstarter, and huge success. A huge success. A watch band to fit the this little the little square Nano. I have it. I have one right here. And, it, and I believe Apple later sold them in the in their store. Yeah, they did sell them, I think. And I think other companies came out with them. I don't think anybody had the success that these guys had. But I've said to people before, like when I see these Android Wear devices coming out, that if they don't look better than the TikTok, which, you know, the, the, the iPod Nano combined with the TikTok, which is a device that wasn't even designed to be a watch, then that's a problem. Yeah. Like if you can't if you can't make a watch that looks better than a device that wasn't really designed to be a watch that could be made into one by a Kickstarter 4 years ago. 4 years ago. Or whatever it was, right. 3 or 4 years ago. Yeah. Uh and that's, you know, the the round screen, like maybe that's progress, but but just everything about iOS and obviously macOS are has been built on you know screens with corners and a top and a bottom and that kind of stuff and like if you see how how hard it's been just to get people to make iPad apps uh I don't know about 
getting you know having everyone rethink everything again for a round. Well, round watch makes screen. sense given uh, traditional watches and clocks where you're you've got this radial dial of yeah. you know minute and hour and second hands that sweep around in a circle. It it makes sense. You're showing circular dials. It makes sense to put it in a circle. It's a reason why. Um, all sorts of things that use a dial, like a speedometer in a car, you know, the the tachometer in a car, have crop circle, right? <laughs> crop circles, sundials yeah. uh, have you know traditionally been or often are circles, but you know, for everything else, it does. It circles are pretty problematic as a display, like for displaying text of any kind, because you only get the full width right at the. I don't know the what would you call it the equator. Yeah, yeah. Unless you have, you're supposed to read it uh, in a, in a spiral or something. Right. Laying out text in a circle is incredibly inefficient. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you say square, do you literally mean square? Or do you mean rectangular? No, I mean square. I, huh. Like you know, like the iPod Nano. Interesting. I you know again this I mean you can I don't know this is probably another freaking bullshit thing that Business Insider is gonna Gruber says yeah. <laughs> iPod Nano is a square should we should we write right. it right now I might still have a login I don't know it should say if it wanted to be honest they should say Gruber says sketchy third hand source here's whisper that yeah. Apple wearable thing might have square display yeah uh, I could won't. see that I don't know I don't know I wouldn't bet money on it. Well, I'd bet a little. No. Okay. <laughs> Not much. Yeah. I wouldn't bet big. I would bet big that there will be it, there will be some wearable thing unveiled in September or October. I would bet an extra five dollars that it would have a square display. <laughs> I could see that. All right. Anyway, but I'm I'm on that side too. So the biggest implication to me of it having a display is battery life. Because the battery having a display to me is means that it's gonna it leads to all sorts of questions about how the how is this thing gonna have a usable battery life? Yeah, because that is the the one nice thing about this Nexus Seven is that it's already told me that over half of the power I've consumed is the screen. Yeah. Does the does iOS eight tell you that? I don't remember. Something like that. Yeah, you know what? They have an app shaming feature, but I don't think that, like like Android has had that for a while, and will tell you things that aren't just based on the app, but things like cellular networking, right? In general, and the, the display, just the power display. I think that the iOS eight feature only lists apps by the order that which in which they've consumed energy. Yeah, yeah. So fifty eight percent of my Nexus 7 energy consumption has been the screen today. I have a feeling that that app shaming feature in iOS, I think it's improved popular. Um, I think it's also going to cause some weird problems. I think part of it is because people are going to be surprised by what's using power. Um, I've heard, I don't use Facebook, so I don't know, but I've heard from a lot of people that Facebook.app uses, consumes an unseemly amount of energy based on uh the default settings for background, like stuff that it tries to do oh, in the yeah. background. Interesting. Well, that's good then. So I think then- I think I think it, it might it might even be a big reason why app because of course you know in combination with the fact that it uses a lot of power, it's on a lot of iPhones and people who, probably more than any other app. I, that's a good question. I thought about that with the Google sponsorship 
of of daring fireball for iOS apps. Um, because clearly, if you you know some of Google's apps are are inordinately popular. Google Maps uh, is, I would guess, the most popular of the Google apps. Right, but you know, I would think so. You know, but uh, a bunch of their apps are very popular. Gmail's their Gmail app is super popular. Yeah, their search app. Yeah, which I think was their first app, maybe. Yeah, I think the one that's just called Google, and it's the one that gives you the Google Now functionality. Yeah. Um, um, but clearly, with the Google, with certain of Google's apps, you can reach a lot more people than uh, YouTube is probably maybe number one. Maybe YouTube is number one. Oh, I don't know, because for so long it was a system app, and then everyone had to re-get it. Well, I don't know. Or at least on certain contingent of people, it's got to be number one. Like, yeah. you know, my... my I'm, I'm going to guess Facebook is the all-time number one. Yeah, I would... If I had to bet on what's the most popular app of all... What, which app is on the highest percentage of iPhones in use, I would say Facebook. So if that is really a huge power suck, then we're going to hear about right. it. Right. Although, you know, there is a difference between consumption and, well, the the bandwidth example is another one. So I just did a post on Friday where I uh, revealed the where the last 6.8 gigs of my cellular data have gone. And the, the, biggest, uh, the biggest source was Twitter. Twitter, which, you know, you think of as a simple 140-character text app used over two gigabytes of data for me in the last few months, um, which is kind of surprising. And, you know, of course, a lot of that is photos and built-in web browser or that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I never would have guessed that Twitter was my number one bandwidth hog. Um, and actually, I, I asked Quartz readers to fill out a survey uh, of their number one app. Uh, that uses the most cellular bandwidth. And I'm going to do a write-up of, of those findings too. But a lot of them, I've looked at them so far, a lot of them also say TweetBot and yeah. and Twitter. So Well, it is the case with my um, my iOS 8 phone. I'm using my iOS 8 this summer on the betas on my year-old iPhone 5. That every time I go, you go to settings, general usage, battery usage. And it shows you, if you wait a couple seconds, it lists your apps by battery usage. Tweetbot is number one for me, but I know how much I use Twitter when I'm on my phone. And that includes, like, when I tap a link, most of the time I just read it right there in Tweetbot's built-in browser. Totally, And I'll yeah. use it to watch videos, too. And, you know, it's not just the actual tweets that I'm reading. The way that on iOS you load the web pages and videos and stuff by default in the Twitter client contributes to that. So, um Based on my, you know, and I don't know exactly how much I use Tweetbot, but my hunch is that their battery, you know, their their number one ranking in the battery usage is totally fair, and it's in completely in line with how much I use Tweetbot. But I suspect that there's going to be a lot of people, and I even saw, I think Paul, I think it was Paul Haddad from the the AppBots or Tweetbot, whatever their company name is, Um, Tapbots. Tapbots. Um, What do I call it? AppBots. Yeah, that would work too. Yeah, uh, t- tapbots. Uh, he he even said back right after the feature was announced in WWDC that he's dreading it because he knows you know that they're gonna you know they're gonna get blamed for hey you, you know my iPhone says Tweetbot's using the most power. Right. No, actually, you're just a Twitter addict, and right. that's uh, 
That's how it works. Yeah, but it's so Facebook is using a lot of power in the background, though. That's you know, that's potentially problematic. In other, and I actually think I've turned off background app refresh for Facebook and location services. Um, yeah, and a lot of like the new Foursquare app too is always polling your location. I turned all that stuff off. Yeah, there was a thing uh, I linked to maybe it was months ago now, but I know it was a couple of weeks ago where it was uh, a former Apple genius posting a top 10 here's how to get more battery from your iPhone and like number oh, yeah. number 1 was turn off everything for Facebook in the background. Totally. But it doesn't I think that there I think someone was saying how they did that and then their the percentage went up. Maybe even on this show. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I do know. I just checked on my beta iPhone that it doesn't list anything like the screen or anything like that. It's all, it's just a list of apps. Hmm. But anyway, I do think though that the, if it has a screen and it sounds to me like it probably does that, that it, unless Apple has invented some kind of new technology, which I wouldn't put past them, but that it could mean that it's like a, in the best case, you've got to charge it every couple days thing. Yeah, I also met with a guy not long ago who makes chips for wearable devices, and some of the stuff that is going on there is interesting too, like chips that generate power based on motion and that kind of stuff. Right, so, which is an old idea from the watch world, right, where right. automatic watches, uh, which have been around, I, I think they came out in the 50s, but I think they were sort of a novelty. But then by the 60s, you know, a lot of high-end, most high-end wristwatches were, you know, could come, you know, came with an automatic movement, which meant that once wound, if you wore it, just the motion of going through the day would keep the—I forget what it's called—the wellspring, uh, something like that, some kind of spring, keep it wound. So as long as you keep wearing the watch, it'll stay wound. Right. I once bought a watch that was powered by water, and that was stupid. Uh, that didn't work very well. What do you mean? Are you but, serious? Yeah, like there was a, there was a, you just like put water on it and then it would supposedly shock itself maybe and it would work. <laughs> it was it was awful. It barely you know it didn't really work. I'm imagining much, something like the Mister Fusion Drive from Back to the Future, <laughs> where it like uh, yeah right yeah it's like yeah it's like trying to power a light bulb with a potato or something. It just you know right. But the watch world long recognized that even just daily winding your watch was a pain in the ass. And so, yeah, they were, you know, I think that, that the effort that went into designing automatic movements, it's to me fascinating. To me, it's exactly like, you know, it's like the, I think the type of minds even today that go into like being like a, a you know, mechanical watchmaker or someone who repairs it is a lot like being a programmer because you're thinking – of, you know, if this, you know, the gear moves this way, it'll do this. And 60 times a minute, it'll do this. And, you know, it's the same sort of logical mindset that that required for computer programming. And I think coming up with these automatic movements that never need to be wound so long as you keep wearing them took an enormous amount of work. But I think it's because they recognized that daily, every day waking up and having to wind your watch was, you know, keeping people from wearing watches. Yeah, and, is you know, how many charging stations you need by your next to your bed now i mean it, you know that that motorola watch thing did not look like the kind of thing i'd want to have to deal with every day or two right and there's uh, so many questions like a device you have to charge comes with so many things number one just how many devices do you have to charge on a regular basis like it's asking a lot even asking for one is a lot 
Like there could come a time 20 or 30 years from now where we look back on having to charge anything on a regular basis as laughable. Right. And, and yet at the same time now we've, I mean, I don't have to charge my iPad every day, but I'd certainly have to charge my iPhone every day. And even then it's like, that means every time I travel, I've got to take a charger. Um, All right. So the clasp of the watch is the uh, lightning pl- port <laughs> plug. Yeah. You know, it, that's, it raises no, a question. Know, no, but, but like is, is lightning, are lightning ports waterproof? I've heard uh, some people speculate that they are. You know, that the one reason phones, the iPhone still isn't waterproof is the audio port. Um, and the phones that claim to be, I don't know, I think that a traditional audio port can't be made waterproof. People correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but that uh, lightning in theory could be, but Apple doesn't advertise it as such because the iPhone isn't water resistant. So they, they just don't want to get into that. But the lightning port could be. Hmm. Um, but a lightning port on a watch would be ugly. Yeah. I mean that's just yeah. The Nike Fuel Band has this weird thing where the the lock locking clasp type thing is part of the charging system, right? So yeah, I guess if the if they but you still needed like a little dock for it, right? And it wasn't wasn't great, right? So I guess if you hit it somewhere else on the watch on the band somewhere, yeah, maybe you could do it, put it somewhere where it's you know when you have it off you have it exposed, but when it's on you don't see it could be something clever like that but even then even if it's a lightning port you're still asking people who you know if to have another lightning port at their bedside yeah right and another one that you take with you when you travel uh yeah and and there's also like this wireless charging stuff but it seems like it's still several years away from so wireless charging ports are inter- – or, or I guess it's not a port, but wireless charging is interesting because then you don't have an ugly port on the device, right? But right. then you've got to have a dock that you take with you everywhere. You've got to have yeah. one wherever you want to charge it. And so if you, you know, have one bedside – and then when you travel, what do you do? Do you take your, take your one with you or do you buy, have to buy a second one for $50 and keep yeah. it in your it's suitcase? Not, it's not ready. I mean someday it will be built into all kinds of stuff. Like I think Starbucks is – rolling out a new tables that have them built into the table or something. Yeah. But it's going to take way too long before that's even right. So I don't know if it, if it was a device without a screen, I could see how Apple could have something in, you know, a lot of inventive stuff to keep power usage down. And maybe, you know, like you said, like kinetic motion so that you could use that to charge it. Um, I have a, a citizen watch from a couple of years ago that has a, they call it eco drive eco dash drive it's a, a quartz watch battery operated but the battery recharges um with a solar cell that's on the face of the watch and which you can hardly see like in certain light hmm. you can see that it's not really a black dial it's it's got like a slightly not black in the center of it because it's actually a solar cell and it's worked great. The watch keeps perfect time and I've never needed to replace the battery way, you know, way past the time when you'd have to replace a regular quartz watch battery. But I don't think there's much, you know, I think it, you know, using solar to charge something that only tells the time and the day of the month is a far cry from even a no display fitness tracker. That's going to have, Bluetooth and you know other type of things like that. 
Yeah, and the minute you add the Instagram app, right. all bets are off. But if it has a display, I think some kind of magical charging, seemingly magical charging that doesn't need you to charge it in every couple of days is out of the question. I think if it has a display, it's got to be something you charge every couple of days at least. And then that means to me that it has to be far more compelling in terms of what it does. Yeah. You know, to get people to buy into the hassle of buying another daily uh, or near daily charging device device it's got to be way more compelling than something that hey just buy this you know put it on your wrist and it'll just work for weeks until you need to charge it do you think it has a, a headphone jack oh probably not if it needs to be water resistant right i think anything you put on your wrist has to be water resistant yeah and you know especially i remember if it's those meant old for... watches that had like a built-in am radio right and i got very excited about that that idea of listening to baseball game you know without needing anything else but not very practical. Also, you look like a moron with uh, earbuds coming off your wrist. Yeah, you do. That's actually the reason I I bought the TikTok is I thought, hey, this would be great. I can u- then I can wear my Nano on my wrist when I run. But yeah, somehow it's it's way. T- I found it way worse, and that my arm was always getting tangled in the cord compared oh, yeah, to totally. compared the, the to armbands. Like kind of work, but. Um, you know, a lot of people run with the arm armband around your bicep or something. Right, but they but work all the way down your wrist. Right, that's, it's because uh, it's all the trouble. way down your wrist. Yeah, it doesn't work out as well. I think that if it somehow broadcasts audio, it has to be over Bluetooth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right the uh, the, the uh, Bluetooth earpods that were someone made up the uh, the fake secret about those. Oh, you're right. On the secret app, somebody <laughs> posted a. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we. I don't know if I ever talked about it on the show because it happened at WWDC, which oh, is, is that when it was? Yeah, it was like right before or something. No, it was while I was in San Francisco for WWDC, and it oh, was nice. it, it's such a busy, hectic week for me. But yeah, there was a again, I think top of tech meme. It was like an anonymous post on Secret that somebody who had been on the uh, wireless headphones team was just let go from Apple, that and that the whole team had been let go, and that they were so bitter that they were going to spoil it. And, yeah, right. And yeah. there are wireless headphones, you know, coming out for new devices this fall. And then like a couple after everybody had taken it as, oh, this anonymous post on secret, it must be true or is probably true or is at least worth reporting. Then a couple of days later, the same guy was like, hey, I'm sorry, I made, I made the whole thing up. Yeah. <laughs> Just great. You know, oh, it's plausible, but. Adapt- no, it wasn't else. plausible. I forget the no. exact details of it, but it wasn't plausible because it doesn't. It didn't make any sense. Well, wireless at all. earbuds are kind of plausible. Oh but- yeah, but it didn't make any sense that Apple would disband the team. No, no. If they were successful at designing, it. I mean, like if they had failed to design the headphones, maybe that got people would get fired because hey, we told you to design wireless headphones and you didn't do it. But if they did, the point of the post was that we did and that they're coming out and they're pretty cool. And it's like, well, then why why would Apple yeah, right. fire you? Yeah. Apple well, doesn't you get it. you get a promotion and you take over everything. Right. But it was funny. it was like a complete uh, no company. It's not like oh Apple's the one company that does that. Like what company what same company would fire like <laughs> Microsoft basis. might, but <laughs> congratulations on just successfully well I it would be as part of Microsoft might as part of a, a downsizing, right? They've announced that they've got to lay people off to they want to reduce headcount. Apple's not having a, a layoff. No, although it was a little interesting that they got rid of so many people from Beats, but I guess those were not like the core people that they acquired the company for. So, 
Yeah, it certainly wasn't why they required the company, right? Right. I wonder if they're if that's going to be something they talk about yet in September slash October, or if it's too soon for that. Like a, you know, any sort of new action, stuff from Beats. New right. stuff from Beats. The one thing I'd love uh, is an Apple TV app because none of the other subscription music services have one, and that would be you know. A reason for me to think about using Beats is if I could. Hmm, I never thought about it that. from the from the TV. Yeah, I was thinking the other day because you know I have my whole iTunes Match library available there, and wanted to use that to play music when we had some people over. And you know, we're like, oh, there's no Spotify app on the or RDO app on the Apple TV. It'd be awesome if they kicked one out pretty quickly for Beats, but it might be asking too much. It's only. I think the deal just closed like a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, I wonder about that, and I wonder, I wonder too, how it ties into whether or not, and I, you know, again, this is pure speculation, but whether or not there's a major Apple TV update coming soon. You know, even right. if it's, well, isn't there like a beta one with with a slightly refreshed yeah, look or something? No, I don't know about that. I don't know if it has a new look. I, if there is, I didn't see that. Uh, I think there was a new build last week. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't. I don't touch the betas for that kind of stuff, right. so I'm not sure. All right, but I just wonder though that if Apple was going to commit to making a Beats app for Apple TV, whether they would do it for the current Apple TV generation or put that in the right, yeah, you know, third major version of the iOS Apple TV. Yeah, they've been adding a bunch of stuff. A lot of it is, you know, not very useful. Although I think there's a new NFL app coming or something like that. Yeah. Well, or isn't it going to have uh, uh, possible to do the Sunday ticket? I don't know if they announced that. I think because I think DirecTV still controls that, but I think there's an NFL app that does other stuff. Hmm. But I, I don't. I haven't been paying that close of attention. No, so. here it is. Apple TV, NFL Sunday ticket coming to iOS. Oh, not not Apple TV. iOS and Mac for 2014. Right. No, it is it is decoupled from uh, DirecTV now. It's no longer exclusive to DirecTV, which I think is going to be huge. Well, no, that's not actually true. No? No. Uh, people got really excited because there was some news release about that. But if you, if you read the fine print, you have to punch in your zip code and... Most of America does not qualify for the streaming direct uh, streaming Sunday ticket. Like my in Chicago, my mom's zip code does not qualify. In New York, you can do it, but you've always been able to do it in New York because it's almost impossible to get Direct TV here. Um, but yeah, that was like blown way out of proportion. That's actually not hmm. not not happening. Uh, it's like university people who live in dorms can do it, and then also people who live in basically New York City and maybe I don't know about some other cities where you just can't install a dish, but. or that they assume most people can. Because obviously, I guess some people in New York City could, but right. Uh, but most you need can. like a place to you know screw in the satellite right. dish with a southern reception and all that kind of stuff. Right. Like, I don't have that. Oh. Um, so anyway, right, maybe not. yeah, I don't know, but there's like I think an NFL app coming that um, that does some other stuff. Yeah, some NFL app. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, well, most of the other major pro leagues have have something similar. Yeah, at least at in the, the U.S. 
I mean, that's half the reason I have a Apple TV is the at bat right. or whatever it's called. Right. Now, no uh, breaking new ground here, but it it does though. Every every time they add an app or whatever you want to call them, a channel to the current Apple TV, it strains the limits of the simple up, down, left, right, infrared remote more and more. So I'd still think that it's a sign that a new Apple TV is coming with some kind of new UI. Yeah, they, at this point, and, you know, and, and you can like kind of hide this the stuff, I guess, but up, you know, all the things that make the App Store so logical and great, like, you know, developers being able to issue updates and all that kind of stuff, that's right. still very much missing from Apple TV. Current. Yeah. yeah, and the infrared thing is it's just it's just strained more and more because it's uh, like especially- I had like some coasters in front of my Apple TV and I <laughs> I couldn't use the remote I had to move them right so they were blocking the line of sight right like we have uh, the Xbox One now and I don't really use it as a TV but it's like the main Xbox interface though is is sort of like Windows Seven you know, with tiles and some of the tiles are big and some are small, but you largely navigate it up, down, left, right, select. But because you have a real controller and it's, you know, got a Bluetooth connection, every time you hit up, it goes up. Every time you hit right, it goes right. And it happens instantly because it's a controller that's built for, you know, video game like, um, uh, timing. And then every time I go back to the Apple TV and it's like up, 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 just to go up once, trying to target the little, totally. the little sensor exactly. It's like, God, this is maddening. Even just switching to Bluetooth would be a huge upgrade. I think that they'll probably do more, but even if they just came out with an Apple TV that had a Bluetooth remote and stuck to up, down, left, right, select, it would be an upgrade. And I think that's probably the kind of thing that's ready to roll. They yeah. just, they're waiting for other stuff. But I wonder, but- too, though, if they have something more in mind for the main interface than just a, a five-by-whatever grid of apps. Because it's mm-hmm. there's a certain limit to that, you know, uh, to the usefulness of that. Yeah, I, you know, but you also think they may have done that for the phone by now, and they haven't yeah. done anything like that. So I wonder, and if they do it with the Beats app, I wonder, it would be an interesting sign of how are they going to treat Beats? Like, are they going to treat Beats as part of Apple? Because you know how, like, there's, you, you can hold select down on Apple TV on any of the apps outside the top row and move them around. So like if you use Netflix all the time, you can make sure that it's in the upper left, right below the built-in movies app. But the movies, TV shows, music, computers, and settings apps are locked in in the top row, the ones that are tied to Apple stuff. Like would be Beats treated as one of those Apple things that you can't move around or would it be like uh, more like iTunes trailers, which is an app that you can move all the way to the bottom if you don't use it? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, my guess is probably more like iTunes trailers. But, yeah, I think so, too. But then they have two different music services. I don't know. It gets weird. But like, where does Beats go on in iOS, too? Does it become part of the music app, or is it always right. a separate App Store app? Right. Like I, think it'll, I think they're going to keep it separate, and I think they're going to keep like in the in the retail stores. I brought this up weeks ago, like when it was first announced, but like, are they going to get rid of the... Bose headphones and then, you know, oh, no way. JBL. No, but are they going to give Beats special treatment? I mean, yeah. I don't think they'll give Beats bad treatment. They might, they might give them slightly premium treatment, you know, in terms of. I think they kind of do already. I mean, half yeah. the, 
seems like so many of the, the headphones were Beats to begin with. Yeah, so. I noticed that. I when As soon as they announced, before they even announced it, when it just was like a reported, hey, Apple is going to buy them for this much money. And we were all like, wow. I stopped in the Apple store just to look at how much Beats stuff they had and where it was. And I guess it, I think it was safe to say that, that it was the most dominant headphone in the Apple store already. But but still treated like this is here's a section of the store where we sell stuff from other companies. Yeah. All right. Let me take a break and thank our second sponsor, our good friends at Squarespace. You guys know Squarespace. It's the all-in-one website hosting building designing platform. Uh, you go to Squarespace. You sign up. You get to pick from a bunch of really cool professional templates for your website. You can register your own domain through them, um, and you get access to 24-7 tech support, which they've won awards for, and now has locations in uh, Ireland, New York, and Portland, so that they cover literally 24 hours of the clock. Uh, I don't know what more to say about it. The other thing about Squarespace that I always repeat is that they also offer amazing built-in commerce capabilities. You can build a store in Squarespace that takes credit cards securely uh, so much easier than anything else I've ever seen with customization of how you present the items in your, in your store, what's available. Um, It's just so much easier than anything else I've ever seen to do online commerce. It's ridiculous. So if that's part of what you're planning to do and you don't check out Squarespace, uh, you're nuts. Where do you go to find out more? Here's here's the URL. Go to squarespace.com slash Gruber, G-R-U-B-E-R. And I know you came from the show. And they have an offer code. It's just my initials, J-G, just J-G. But if you use that code, you'll save 10% off whatever it is that you sign up for. And so if you sign up for like a year, sign up for a year, you'll save 10% off that year. It's like getting uh, uh couple of months for free. Great deal. Cannot emphasize enough. And I know they're a repeat sponsor. I know you've heard me talk about Squarespace before, but maybe you didn't have a website to build before, but now you have something on your plate you need to build a website for. Go check them out. Squarespace.com slash Gruber. My thanks to uh, Squarespace, longtime supporter of this show. So what else were we talking about? We're talking about, I guess, the events next week, next month, whatever. Yeah. Well, um, do you want to talk about the uh, international... Like the, the Samsung's troubles in, uh, yeah, because you wrote about that. That was actually I, I wrote a little about it, and you know I've been reading a lot about it, and obviously I don't uh, have the encyclopedic knowledge that, say, Benedict Evans or or Ben Thompson have about, you know, the Asian markets uh, for mobile devices. But it's really interesting what's happening right now because, uh, and this was I don't know if I should. I don't know if I was going to write this post or not, but remember that slide from uh, the original iPhone announcement where Steve Jobs had all the old smartphones up? Yeah. It seems like all of those companies are are gone, basically. Uh, yeah. It, well, it, it was like Palm, Palm Nokia, and uh, BlackBerry, right? Something like that? Yeah. And did he have a Samsung up? If he did, it was know. the Samsung Blackjack, which right. was their hilariously <laughs> literally a copy of the of the black bear right uh i know he referenced the blackjack here it's the uh the motorola q 
the BlackBerry, the Palm Trio, and the Nokia E62. Yeah. So Motorola, so, yeah. Nokia, Palm, and BlackBerry. Yeah. Basically all toast. So it's interesting because it, you know, and that, that happened over the course of several years. And of course, Motorola is still technically, I think, now part of. Uh, it's going to be part of Lenovo. That's what I, I don't know if that's actually finalized yet, though. I don't know that it has. I think so. I don't know. But, and then, you know, Nokia is part of Microsoft, and HP probably still owns the rights to someday relaunch Palm or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and BlackBerry is still technically in business, too. But, you know, you, you see Samsung flying high, and, you know, besides Apple, the only truly profitable company in mobile, and then all of a sudden, things aren't looking so great. Um, you know, in the story that they're getting kind of their butts kicked in, in China and things aren't so great in India either, where they supposedly, you know, had built such a great distribution system and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's fascinating. And, and well, you know, in China, people, they've been passed. They've lost the number one spot for smartphones to Xiaomi, right? I guess. And, you know, of course, that's the kind of thing that, that it's probably close and it could probably change back and and it's still yeah and it's to be fair it's based on largely on third-party market share summaries from companies like idc which i just linked to a few weeks ago about how yeah how made up some of their pc market share numbers have been over the years you know but it's the best that we can go by but at the very least and and they're pretty you know i'm sure they're in the ballpark, right? But sticking to facts, we do know that financially, Samsung has had reported a bad, a bump quarter. Yeah, I mean, that's it, a fact. So it's not out of the question that you know it seems like it it matches with that that they've lost momentum in China and then they've lost momentum in India, which is very different. And we and I linked to uh, a Ben Thompson piece and a, a news report, you know, but about how different India is from China that we. Uh, they call it the BRIC countries. I've I said this before, and it's so weird to me. But it's Brazil, Russia, India, and China. But really, all that those that they're you know that there's different economics from like Western Europe and the U.S. But the thing that the only thing that those countries really have in common is that they're huge, and then there's a lot of people in all of them. But like India and China really can't be lumped together as one thing because economically they're so very different. Like there may be you know a billion. Poor and people. culturally, and you know, so many electronics are made in China that that was natural right. for for local Chinese companies to all of a sudden. But the biggest difference, and Ben Thompson wrote about this, was is that in China has incredible economic, um, what's it called, uh, inequality. Where yes, there are the poor people in China are very very poor by our standards. But there's an awful lot of people who, or some number of people in China who make, you know, who have a very high income. It's spread tremendously. And even if it's only a few percent, a few percent of, you know, two billion people in China is, is tens, if not hundreds of millions of people. And in India, the poor are even poorer. And there's not as much income inequality where the people at the top aren't making as much as the the people in China. And so it's a very different economic situation. I think the problem Samsung – or the other thing that the Samsung thing – this is what I wanted to mention, and I think I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, is to me it ties in with a trend that I've noticed recently is that people have sort of shut up about Apple needs to make a cheap iPhone, which I right. think was part of a narrative that started about two two to three years ago 
which was, hey, Samsung is gaining market share, uh, whether it was in the U.S. or worldwide, in smartphones. And Android is, you know, gaining even faster. But Samsung's gobbling up a huge part of it. And that, that ergo, Apple's in trouble. And to the only way they can win back market shares with a cheap cheap iPhone, uh, which is a very different thing than a lower-priced iPhone, like just gently edging lower and lower into lower price points year over year, that Apple needs to jump in headfirst with a cheap iPhone to stave this off. And Because, look, Samsung's killing them. Samsung is just or, or is growing too fast. And now that Samsung's cooled off, I think it coincides with people – um, what was Jay Arrow had a post on Business Insider? Maybe Apple knows what it's doing with the iPhone <laughs> strategy after all. Something to that. Effect. Yeah, totally. But it, well, which is funny. It's it's a funny headline, and I know that the Macalope made fun of it. But it's in some ways it's actually a great head headline because it actually to me it, it encapsulates what I think a lot of analysts, pundits, and investors have actually are actually thinking. I think it's a little more nuanced than that, though, because. It's not just that Samsung, the phone maker, was cleaning Apple's clock. It's that Android, the platform, was you know if if market share yeah. is what you're going by, Android has destroyed Apple. Right. Period. Like it's you know it's not even close. It's not Windows Mac level, but it's like whatever seventy thirty or something like that yeah. worldwide eighty twenty. I don't know. Um, and the thinking was that you know if this is the new if this is the new OS platform war and you know for the for the next 20 years or something like that then Apple can't afford to not be the dominant player there right. because this isn't just about phones this is about tablets and and you know all kinds of future devices and now extending to televisions and probably not wearables and all that kind of stuff. So if Apple loses people's phones, they've lost that that person's whole life and if you know if this is the new software platform for the next couple of decades then that's that's potentially troublesome. Um, but I think we've seen that maybe, you know, the the market share advantage that Android has is a lot more splintered than the western dominated Windows Mac war, right. you know, like What's going on with Android in China is probably pretty different than what's going on with Android in in Western markets, you know, hardware and software wise. Right. And you know, you have these these messaging companies that that catch on in different markets and become really huge and popular and that kind of stuff. And I don't know. So maybe it's a, a dawning realization on more people that market share isn't everything. That it's not – it doesn't trump every, that everything That mobile else. is different and that market share in mobile is different than it meant in the PC platform. Yeah, but and, even and, – as I've said before though, even in PCs, right, the Mac still exists. And by most, by most accounts I've seen in terms of traditional PC, not counting tablets, just counting what we always thought of things with Intel CPUs, x86 CPUs, right? Laptops, desktops running either Windows or Mac or you know Linux that Apple – makes about 50% of the profit in the whole PC industry. They're yeah. by far and away number one in terms of the profit they have in the PC industry. In a what everybody would consider a, um, uh, a mature market, a settled mature market. Right? And I would say it's also 
almost never now that you run into the to the real problem, which was that software existed for Windows but not for Mac. Right. Like you could pretty much get whatever you want for Mac. You know, obviously there's some stuff that's still games only. Games, games is still a, a is still a different situation. Um, right. Although mobile has kind of you know, and the game consoles have kind of yeah. made PCs less important for gaming. Yeah, um, I don't see people complain. I still think clearly Windows PCs are you know far more you know have more new titles and run things better uh excel is still better for windows obviously but but i don't see uh, people complaining about games on macs anymore so much mainly because i think mobile is a bigger deal and consoles are a bigger you know bigger deal yeah but this was the big fear that you know if android gets this this huge advantage in market share that all of a sudden all the best apps are going to be either android first or android only and you know as my reporting about a month and a half ago proved that's not the case like android despite its massive market share lead is still either getting developed you know at the same time as ios or after yeah. um there are very few important apps that are android first or android only and you know i don't know if that's going to change it might uh, but it doesn't look like it it doesn't seem to be happening no uh, so so that you know so that's what that whole market share slash platform war argument was about and I know you know that's what Jay was thinking cuz Jay and I were working together and we were talking about this stuff and that's you know and and Henry our you know our boss was the one who was the one writing that that that, that the iPhone was dead in the water remember right. that right no and that how was can all you based on the argument that you know this platform war really 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 mattered and that market share was key to to that and i think we're learning that mobile's a little different uh at least so far i mean you know no no one knows what's going to happen in a few years well um, i think the thing that's different is the post internet world i think that's the thing that really like a lot of things happened between 95 1994 95 and which I think people confused in their head as meaning, hey, when you lose the market share war, you go away, you go bye-bye. And that a lot of people summed it up as uh, in the back of their heads that Windows 95 came out and was either as good or go at least good enough as the Mac. And people, you know, and Windows 95 came out and people lined up around stores to get it at midnight like they do for Apple products, right? It was that popular, right? I mean, that's that's a I mean, just a good basic rule of thumb. If you have normal consumers lining up around the block to get into a store to buy your product, you've got something, right? Apple has that now. Microsoft had it then. And it you know, it was a problem for Apple. And but a big thing too was with the big whether it was 90 to 10, 95, 5, whatever the percentage split was between Windows and Mac PCs, when you had to interchange stuff by floppy disk, and they even even the floppy disks had different formats. And if you put a Mac floppy disk into a you know Windows PC, it would say, do you need to reformat this? And you'd lose everything on it. And Macs eventually gained the ability to read DOS formatted disks, but when, Microsoft was never going to bother supporting Mac formatted disks. And the file formats weren't the same. And if you had a Word document that was created on a PC and you opened it Microsoft Word on your 
on your Mac and everything reflowed. And then when you sent it back to people, it was all screwed up. It was all a problem. And it was all. Didn't we buy some like $60 app to like just convert? Yeah. I forget the name of that. It was great. Oh, it worked. Yeah. A, it worked a charm. I forget the name of that app. I, don't I know exactly really. what you're talking about. Yeah. But all those things. But then the internet happened. And, and, or, and then Apple got into financial problems and really was on the cusp of bankruptcy, but not really so much just because of market share and problems on the Mac, but just that the company was horribly run and that they'd had these failed initiatives at the next year. It was a far more complex story than just market share. Um, but the internet really healed over the whole, hey, I'm using platform A and you're using platform B and we need to communicate and exchange stuff. Right. And that really helped, I think, not just Apple, but anybody, you know, who wanted to come up with a new platform forever after is that you don't have to worry about. I mean, even just simple networking, just getting a Mac and Windows computer on the same network in the early 90s was like almost impossible. And especially to have them both be treated as peers, whereas the Internet is this open standard, you know, involves all these open standards for networking. Yeah. And and even if you look at the native apps that are the most popular on Android and iOS, they're all basically just interface code, you know, interacting with an API. Right. So even if, you know, Android gets some sort of, you know, market share advantage, it's not that hard. Like people would build Windows apps and then not build a Mac app because it was, you know, a lot of money and time and all this stuff and, and documents and all that sort of everything you just described. But the difference between building an iOS app and an Android app is mostly just interface code right. at this point. Right. So, in really broad terms, conceptually, the whole computing world is built on uh, the foundation is now the internet. Yeah. And it's you know not just the World Wide Web, but TCP/IP in general and HTTP. Uh, it's the internet, and then we all pick devices that run a certain platform and connect to the internet. Whereas pre-internet the foundation of the world was whatever operating system your computer was running. And so if you were on a Mac, the Mac OS and the ecosystem of Mac apps was the foundation of the computing world. And for PCs, it was Windows and Windows apps. And that meant that they were not compatible. So I think yeah. in the modern world, it's, it's, it's just, it's very possible, not just for two platforms to coexist and thrive like Android and iOS, but you know, it could be, could be three. I think it's unlikely that there'd be a, a slew that there'd be like 10 different, you know, platforms for mobile devices that would thrive. But yeah, you know, we're seeing like third place now dip to, you know, what 3% of the market or four. So yeah, it looks like a two horse race at this point, but I don't think it's inconceivable. Reroll the dice for the last six or seven years of the, and you come up with an alternate universe where, you know, maybe if it had come out a little sooner and it had more corporate support that Palm OS, you know, was still, yeah, you know, right. six, 7%, right. like a max sized market and with good margins, you know, it's a good business. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of people looked at those, you know, that the Apple's near bankruptcy and, and decided that in a platform battle, if you don't win, you're going to go bankrupt. And don't really think about the fact that Apple came back and that that was a long time ago. And that now that the market has matured, the Mac business has been thriving for well over a decade consistently. So by those lines, the company then that maybe in the greatest position of power is not necessarily the company that runs the OS, but the company that runs those backend services, um, which increasingly is Google. Yeah. Uh, and so, but I'm also a little surprised by how committed Google has been to 
continuing to make stuff for iOS, um, you know, to the to the point that they would even sponsor your your website. Right. Uh, when they, when they could theoretically say, okay, from now on, our best stuff is is Android only. Right. And you know, there's some st- like Google now. I think is probably going to be a better experience than Android because than- yeah, well, Google now is a, a unique example because it's really tied into the the right. system. You know, the idea yeah. that you need to launch an app for it really defeats it. It really wants to be in that that gifted position that Siri is in. Yeah, so if that if if that sort of feed stream AI type thing is the future of com, you know mobile computing, then that's the kind of thing where Apple market share could be right. a problem. Right, like, um, like if, for, you know, unless Apple does a better job at that with right. Siri, although you know, I think for example, I think that there, there were an R third party keyboard apps for iOS now, but they just run as an app. And you know, show their keyboard, and you do your typing, and copy and paste it, and go back to another app and paste it into the app, which nobody's going to do. Like the only way you could really have a thriving market of third-party keyboards for your OS is if you really support them at the system level, like Apple's doing in iOS yeah. eight. I think that that's probably going to prove popular. Whereas something like Google Now isn't really going to have a chance to thrive unless Apple somehow made Siri that sort of thing, where you could replace Siri with. Google Now or with, uh, with Katana. Yeah, I don't know if they would ever do that. Did you hear that? Just me talking made the iOS 8 uh, <laughs> Hey Siri thing. I was wondering what that was. That's funny. Seems like I cut you off. Can you please repeat that? Yeah. It said, uh, it, it heard me say replace Siri with, and, and she got upset. Nice. Yeah, so I wonder if there's a point at which Google, you know, sees the the market share in their advantage and says, "All right, well, we're done doing Google Maps for iOS now or something like that." But I, it doesn't seem to be the direction they're going in. Yeah, so. and as Microsoftian as Google sometimes old Microsoftian as Google sometimes is, that doesn't seem to be the way they think. That would well, be I, I think well, there might be some people within Google who think that, but I think that certainly the people making the iOS S apps aren't would be and i and i think they're so scared of um antitrust stuff that they won't because yeah. that could really screw them up like yeah. if they had to chop themselves up so you know a, a public seeming uh support for ios probably makes them look really good yeah in the same way that it did for microsoft in 1997 when they cut the deal with apple and committed yeah. to 5 years of of you know office support and stuff like that even more so because Microsoft was already in anti big antitrust trouble at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that Google has to worry about that Apple doesn't because Google has at least one monopoly, which is on web search. Uh, yeah. And Chrome is starting to move in that direction too. And well, I don't think uh, it's a question. I don't think Chrome is ever going to get to monopoly size though. No, probably not. But the, the other thing they're doing now and, and, um, I actually learned a lot about this on Friday is that the the EU is like really looking into the way they're using Google Plus as part of search results mm-hmm. and I don't you know it, they may just get a slap on the wrist but some other stuff might happen that that makes it really bad for them so I don't know um but so we'll see about that. But yeah, Google search is obviously their biggest. Well, the EU, I know the EU is largely skeptical. And I do, I, you know, wouldn't be surprised at all. I, maybe I'd be more surprised if something 
big doesn't come of it, but just the general way that Google favors its own products and search results. Yeah. That like if yeah, you just it's getting worse and if you just type in I I'm guessing, I don't know. I'm gonna go to Google and just type if you type calendar software, does it show you know, suggest Google Calendar? Uh, and I know that like when you search for businesses, they show Google Plus results for that business in a it's not part of well, it doesn't show Google Calendar as a first result, but you know, I don't know. But I know for if you type like a restaurant name, it it favors the Google Plus page for that. Oh, yeah, you know what? If you just type calendar, all right. If you just type the word calendar into Google, the first result is Google Calendar. Oh, nice. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Is that nice? nice? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. But I know that the EU it's nice if you're Google. Yeah, so looks very askance at that because that's what they would call. Um, is it bundling? I don't know what the the antitrust term for it is, but it's using it's exactly what Microsoft got in trouble with with Windows. It's is using you know that that having a monopoly is not necessarily illegal and often isn't illegal at all, but using that monopoly to gain an advantage in a different market is. Right. And if they're using the Google search monopoly to promote Google Plus unreasonably uh against you know, natural competitors, then that could be problematic. Right. So, and not having a monopoly gives Apple way more freedom than they would otherwise. Like, there's probably an arm's length list of things that Apple is doing that if if iOS had ninety percent smartphone market share, uh, would certainly have. Oh the, yeah, certainly have the EU taking them to court, and might even have the U.S. Department of Justice, which as even with. Uh, you know, uh, Obama in the seventh year of his administration is far more business friendly than the EU. Um, yeah, the App Store itself. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's a, probably the prime example that the way that they run the App Store and that there's no side loading of apps. It's pr- that would probably be the central. That would probably be the, the the big one. That would probably be like the centerpiece of of a legal fight, and I don't think they'd be able to win it. Yeah, which things have. I you know I remember when the App Store first launched that was kind of a lot of a lot of uh, controversy but people seem to to have gotten used to it and you know with um, test flight who knows you know in a couple of years there could be side you know more widespread side loading right. of apps but who yeah. knows but it would definitely be the thing uh, and I've even seen people make the stupid argument which is that Apple does have a monopoly they have a monopoly on the OS for iPhones but that's yeah it's not a monopoly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is anyone is anyone running Android? Can you crack an iPhone and run Android on there? I don't think so. I've seen people know. try. Maybe there was like once or twice a long time ago where somebody got something vaguely working, but uh, yeah. it's not a thing. You cannot. Um, so back to Samsung. I think that the other thing that we're really seeing is that Samsung has – they've done a great job and they've obviously had a good good couple of years – but that they're it's increasingly becoming obvious that they're getting pinched on both sides that Apple still dominates or maybe not dominates but certainly has a, a long term a sustained advantage at the high end of the smartphone market like the multi hundred priced handsets that Apple still sells a majority of those which is historically where the profits are yeah where the profits you know. are and at the low end at the lower priced end where Apple doesn't compete at all they're increasingly losing to companies like Xiaomi and uh, you know other ones that a lot of us even here in the US haven't even heard of or don't even have access to um but certainly that's that's been a problem for them in China 
And that is, you know, that's where their market share is eroding. Right. And those get, you know, people to look at Samsung stuff and then maybe even buy a higher end thing or something like that. Right. And you lose the advantage to, to maybe, maybe it's not high margin, but, you know, low margin times a big number still equals a lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, you lose that advantage. And then all the scale advantages that come with all that. And, you know, I, you know, the post I published that you linked to obviously was a little tongue-in-cheek. Um, you know, here's Samsung's future stock chart, and it was the Nokia chart from mm. the day the iPhone launched to the day that Microsoft bought Nokia, So, which looks like a ski downhill ski slope. Uh, I don't think that's the future for Samsung. I mean, it's a huge conglomerate, and they do so much more stuff than than I think Nokia did, you know, ranging from TVs to the chips that go into other phones and that kind of stuff. So, and they've proven, I I don't see them collapsing, but it doesn't look great either. All right. They've proven to be more nimble than Nokia, but I don't know if they're nimble enough. And it's, it's that they, they don't really have good footing in this market, you know, where, um, I think Apple does. And I think company like, Xiaomi does, and maybe even I know Ben Thompson is 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 a big uh, uh, is bullish on Lenovo. Once they you know finish the Motorola app acquisition, and Lenovo might do real really well in China um, and other places. Just you know nipping you know five percent here, six percent there, seven percent to another company, and all of a sudden the low end is is bifurcated, and maybe is a lot more like the PC market. Yeah, and now all of a sudden Apple has a you know five inch iPhone, and and maybe you don't need to buy that Galaxy Note. So right, the last few years, you know, to compare the smartphone market and the PC market, the last few years have been sort of like, you know, if one PC maker just had enormous market share of Windows, you know, sixty seventy percent of Windows sales, like we're all Dells, that would be really good for Dell. But that's not how the PC market is. The PC market, you know, I think. The number one spot has moved around a lot, but it's never been more than like twenty percent for HP or um, Dell or any any one company. And it's you know you quickly get into that long tail where there's all sorts of you know no name companies making really cheap machines, and it's all split up. And it's as we can see, there's no you know there's there's no money to be made in a market like that. Like nobody else other than Apple is making big money in PCs, and it might soon be that no no other company than Apple is making big money in in mobile handsets. Right, and there's nothing locking Samsung customers into Samsung the way that there would be, and they've tried too. You know, right. they've tried to make their own uh, music, and I think I don't know if they ever did their own app store, but they you know yeah, show I think they have music. They do have an app store. Stuff. Yeah. And none of that really caught on, I think, in large part because they're not very good at software. Yeah. Uh, and also, Google has pressured all the Android companies to, you know, kind of promote Google Play and not, you know, at risk of losing all the Google Google support. So, right. Uh, I think Google has made it such that Samsung really doesn't have that much to uh, lock people into. Right. I think then I think they're obviously aware of it because there's no other reason that Tizen their own software platform 
even exists. But I, like you said, they're just not good at it. And if they're not even good at making apps for Android, I mean, how good are they going to be at making an entire platform? And it's such an uphill battle. I mean, you look, I mean, Microsoft, who we know is good at making platforms and good at making um, developer tools and develop, at creating developer APIs, can't get much traction in the market and can't get first class support from third party developers the way that Android and iOS have. Well, then how is Samsung going to do it with an all new platform? Right? Because it's not just good enough. Even if they made a version of Tizen that was, objectively speaking, good enough, you know, like as good as Android, it's that alone doesn't mean that they would get an app store full of third party apps. Right? It's totally, yeah. And then even if and if they don't, then it's dead in the water. It, you know, to borrow Henry's phrase, it really would be. Yeah, I'm. I mean, because look at my, you know, Microsoft has been trying to even pay companies to make Windows Phone apps, and that's been such an uphill battle right as it is i think they just you know the, to close the loop on this it it really makes it just seem even how much more impressive and unlikely it was for apple to succeed so, so strongly because they weren't making mobile phones before and they weren't making touch-based operating systems and app stores and all that kind of stuff it was it's kind of nuts how well they've done yeah and and the you know the profit margins and all that, all that sort of stuff and not just pieces of it but all of it like it's the iPhone really is a lot more you know for all the praise it's gotten it really is more even more impressive than it seems yeah i totally agree and i think that it's it the way that they made it look easy makes it easy to overlook that yeah yeah i'm just looking here so instagram this is one example but instagram for windows phone debuted 8 months ago so early 2014, but uh, Instagram for Android came in March 2012. So two years after Android, they came out with a Windows Phone version. And Instagram was rather famous for being iOS only for what seemed like a long time. It seemed like the Android version took a you know took them a long time to get to. Right, and I remember reading that it was Nokia that actually got them to to do a Windows version, not even Microsoft. Hmm. It was that they were impressed by the cameras on. Right nokia hardware so they went went and built a windows phone right so just repeat that over and over again with everybody and then you know filter that down to the smaller developers you know the true indie shops where it's just a handful of developers and designers and you're just not going to get you're just they're just you're not going to get the support because they're all writing ios and and android apps now yeah i should look at the blackberry app store and see what's going on there right now I bet a lot of people have abandoned, you know, the the companies that had made apps even at the beginning of it might not be doing that anymore. Like I wonder if there's a an updated uh yeah, MLB app this year. I don't even know. Yeah, maybe, but I wonder. Yeah, I don't even know about that. There used a, to be. I have a bit of uh FU. I know it's most Uh-oh. podcasts do the FU at the beginning, follow up. I should mention this. Actually, I guess we should... Oh, they're still at bat for BlackBerry. Look at that. Look at that. At bat 2014? Yep. Yeah. Actually, I, bet, I bet there's some good stories behind that. I wonder if it runs on... Does it run on both platforms, though? Is it just for the old BlackBerry, or does it run on the BlackBerry 10? Because it's two different platforms. BlackBerry 10. Huh. So there you go. But you must purchase a device-specific version of at bat 14 from the BlackBerry world to access it on BlackBerry 10. I don't know what that means, but 
I think cool. I think you have to tell them exactly which BlackBerry model you yeah. have because there's two entirely different platforms. Hmm. Anyway, my FU is uh, when I had uh, Moltz on the show last episode. Uh, I was saying how uh, I can't believe people in today's world would buy polarized sunglasses because it makes your iPhone look crazy. And uh, you know, I, I, have you ever seen that? You have polarized sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, I have to take them off. Yeah, the screens look crazy. So I can't and see every how Every people... screen looks different, too. Like the iPad and the iPhone have different effects. Well, I, you, I heard I got an earful <laughs> from the fans of polarized sunglasses. And, and to summarize it, I don't want to stay out, but apparently if you buy, quote, goods polarized sunglasses, it shouldn't be a problem. That it's just, That's only a function of bad polarized sunglasses. If you get expensive ones that are good... Uh, your iPhone will look good it, only when you hold the iPhone in its natural uh, portrait orientation. When you hold it sideways, then you get the problem. But so apparently, it is possible to use an iPhone with polarized sunglasses. Um, so my apologies to fans of polarized sunglasses and the polarized sunglass industry. I don't know where mine are. Actually, remember that was the first time you. Uh, we met you. You uh, put my sunglasses on, and you were shocked at how dirty they were. <laughs> why did Remember I put that? your? So- oh, I know why. Because I, know I was why. thinking about. I was thinking about. Uh, there were Ray Bans, and I was thinking about getting yeah. a pair. And uh, I asked you if I, it was on the roof deck at the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the MacWorld. Uh, no, no the uh, the deck. Uh, the yeah, the MacWorld deck. No, it was in New York. No, no, no. It oh, was, was in it? SF? Yeah, it was. Uh, oh, it was a MacWorld party. Snell's party. Oh, I thought it was the the. Deck book reading. No, I didn't. I didn't get to go to that. You didn't go. Oh, to that? oh, that I, was a different time. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about uh, Kudal's yeah. baseball book. Yeah, I say the, the deck, but uh, no, yeah, not yeah. the baseball book. It was oh, no. the um, oh, the uh, field tested books. Yeah, field tested books where people okay, have written. That is the first time I met you. That's not. I didn't have those sunglasses back then. All right. Anyway, that, that is the first time we met, though. Yeah, Field tested right. books was a that. thing that Kudal used to run, where he'd ask people to write. You'd write a review of a book where you read it, and so uh, which is a brilliant idea, right? And so you because it really makes a difference, right? Like if you remember that I read this one book when I was at this one place, then that's the that was field tested books, and it made it was fascinating. I thought, and I had written one, and they held a book, they had a, held a reading in New York, and and you were there. It was a lovely event. It was terrific. Yeah, it was great. I still have that book somewhere. I wonder where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they had collected them into a book. Anyway, I I uh I don't know where my sunglasses are. They're over on the somewhere else. Were but, they polarized? I remember them being very yeah, dirty. Yeah, they are polarized. So I actually want I and they're clean too. Uh hold on. Give me 2 seconds. I'm going to find them. They're right on the, they're, they're next to me. All right. Go I'll look right for them and I'm going to read the I'm going to do a third sponsor. Uh, play background music. No, I'm going to take this opportunity while Dan is uh, hunting down his uh, polarized sunglasses to tell you. I'm back. All right. Well, I'm taking this opportunity to tell people about Transporter, File Transporter. Oh, please do. Great. Um, Another repeat sponsor. You've probably heard me talk about them before if you're a regular listener. But if you are or if you haven't, short version, think about it as your own personal Dropbox. What you do is you buy devices. You buy your own device from File Transporter. It's a thing. You buy it. It's a gadget. You plug it in, you connect it to your home network, and you install some software on your Mac, and all of a sudden, you've got a folder in your home folder that syncs to the device. And then any other device in your house, any other Mac in the house, uh, you can 
get a folder and it'll do that too. So it's just like Dropbox. You have a folder, you put files, they, they sync to the device. You can access them from anywhere. Um, the difference is it's your stuff, your data is actually stored only on your file transporter device and the drives you connect to it. So they're right there in your house or in your office. You can buy more than one. You could keep one at your house, one at your office, uh, put one in your parents' house, put one in your house. And they just, if you sign them into the same account, they sync the same data between them. But at no point does your data go to a server on the cloud. Uh, interesting for privacy reasons, especially, uh, you know, it's, given the, the, the allegations that have come out over the last two years about what government agencies around the world have been doing to big cloud providers. Um, also interesting from a legal perspective for certain people in certain industries where you legally are obligated not to put devices or data onto devices that you don't actually have physical control over. Um, really interesting. Uh, and I think really appealing to a lot of people, whether it's for legal reasons or just privacy reasons, uh, or just the desire to have control over your own stuff. Um, they have two types of devices. They have the regular transporter. This comes in 500 gigabyte, one terabyte, and two terabyte capacities. So that's a thing you buy. Already has a hard drive in it. You just buy it, plug it in. Uh, and there's also the transporter sync. That's I call it the puck model. It's just like a little Apple TV puck, maybe even smaller provides the exact same functionality, but instead of coming with a hard drive, you just uh, you just plug in your own USB drive. Anything with the USB port, you, any kind of third-party hard drive with a USB port, you plug that in on your own. So if you have a bunch of hard drives sitting around, or you already you know have a big one that you want to use, you can just buy the transporter sync, save some dough, and just plug in your own hard drive. Uh, here's the URL. Go to file transporter store.com file www.filetransporterstore.com now if you want to buy the transporter you can use this code tts10 that's the one that comes with the built-in uh, hard drive you'll save 10% off your purchase that's up to 35 bucks for the 2 terabyte version which costs uh, 350 so you'll save 35 bucks just by using that code tts10 the talk show 10 ts10 tts10 if you buy the sync the little puck model, use this code, TTS20, TTS20. That doesn't save you a percentage, just saves you 20 bucks, just 20 bucks right off the top of the uh, sync model. TTS10 for that one, TTS20, TTS10 for the transporter, TTS20 for sync. Would have been easier if they just used one code and uh, make it work for both. But don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. You're smart enough to buy a transporter. You're smart enough to use the right code. Everybody who uses either one of those codes gets free shipping. So if you're wondering if transporter is right for you, go check it out. See for yourself. And you can buy one and start using it, and you have a 30-day risk-free satisfaction guarantee. You don't like it, use it for a couple of weeks, box it back up, send it back to them, you get all your money back. So there you go. Make sure you enter the code just before the final checkout and check them out at www.filetransporterstore.com. My thanks to them. All right. You got your shades on? I do. And so I have four screens in front of me. I have a MacBook Air. I have an iPhone 5. I have an iPad mini. And I have this Nexus 7. And they all behave differently with these sunglasses. (laughs) 
Some of them work portrait, but not landscape. Some of them work landscape, but not portrait. Some work both, and some work diag- everything but diagonal. <laughs> so who knows? Well, people- but I, I do think it's interesting that the iPad mini and the iPhone 5 have different screens. Well, meaning what? When you look at your iPhone 5, what do you see? Well, I see a green, as if you had put a green gel over my glasses. So it's terrible. Right. And, and it doesn't matter it, whether you hold it sideways or not. No, no, no. If you turn it sideways, it works fine. But that's landscape? Well, it's almost like two-thirds, <laughs> two-thirds diagonal where it, the colors are, are better. Well, that's no good, though. Nobody uses their phone at two-thirds diagonal. No, right. So it's it's not great. But the iPad mini literally looks looks totally normal with my sunglasses on. So there's In a both orientations? Well, mostly portrait. But not landscape. Landscape, it's a little darker. Right. But either way, there's so all that mythology about how they just cut the same screen out of the. Th- <laughs> yeah, no, I think we've gotten away from that. I think I we think know that's, that. Yeah. I don't think that's right. I, yeah. Because they also laminate the screen to yeah. the glass differently. Like they, they, they still have another, you know, whatever, 16th of an inch, they can make this iPad skinnier if they that, it, it got was, rid of some it, of that space. It was most obvious, I thought, and, and I realized that that's that I, I, I propagated that. And, and it's because okay. they've stuck to <laughs> it was a simplistic thinking that because they've stuck to these same pixel resolutions, you know, in the pre retina world, there were only two two pixel resolutions, you know, pixels per inch, the iPhone one, which was like 162 or 163 and the iPad one, which was 133. And all their iOS devices were one of those two pixel resolutions. And then in the retina world, it just doubled that. It was like, you know, it's 320 something, 323 and uh, 267 pixels per inch. And every device has one of those pixels per inch thing. But it's, it's, that's, I, and there might be some economies of scale to sticking with that, but obviously certain devices have different ones. I thought the most obvious was when they came out with the the iPhone 5 coming up on two years ago. And the still today current, because they didn't update it last year, the iPod Touch that had the 16 to 9 aspect ratio. And it's, you know, real lightweight and thin device. You know, the one, the metal, the current iPod Touch, the one that has the camera strap thing and everything. Um because the same new screen size, same pixel prints resolution, but the saturation and colors on the iPod Touch is just nowhere near the quality of the iPhone 5. And similarly with the iPad Air and the iPad Mini, the iPad Air has such noticeably more vivid color than the, the Mini. Yeah, I think so too. I Which noticed as that. a Mini owner, I never noticed, but then when I had them side by side, it was pretty shocking. Yeah, I don't. I think the mini might have better quality than the iPod Touch, but it's definitely not up to the iPod iPad Air. Yeah. iPad Air is like it's crazy. Yeah, I don't. I guess because it has a bigger battery or something. Yeah, but anyway, the polarized sunglasses. I don't mean to make a terrible pun, but apparently they're, it's a very polarizing topic. Yeah, it's it's a shady. Uh... <laughs> I think the moral of the story is if you're if you're going sunglass shopping, bring your phone, yeah, and, and see what works. Yeah, and take a look at your phone in in the, when you buy it when yeah. you buy the sunglasses. Right. Yeah. There's uh, Amazon Hashet. Is that yeah. how you say it? Is it Hashet? Hashet? Uh, I think it's Hashet. Hashet. Yeah. Where uh, where Amazon and and Hashet, the one of the five major book publishers, uh, 
are in a continuing spat that they're taking public and and there's been a authors united movement between with you know again it's not unanimous certainly not that all authors or even all successful authors are on Hachette's side definitely not the case but there's a lot of authors who are see it on the publisher side uh, and then Amazon launched a, a sort of ham-fisted Readers United site, which really wasn't united by readers. It was entirely by and written by Amazon. Um, but more or less, by they're, they're making the case that it's in readers' interests for Amazon to come out on top of this because um, books will ebooks will be cheaper. But it's boy, it's an ugly fight. It is, and I well, I think it's ugliest to those of us who are somewhat exposed to it uh i I don't know if most people are even know it's happening well i don't know though i think people are noticing more and more though because of things like uh hash books not coming out on amazon or at least not being available pre-order on amazon which true you know and for i don't know what 14 or 17 years i don't know however long amazon's been selling books there's an awful lot of us who, who've just, you know, if you hear about a new book or it's coming out, you just go to Amazon to start typing the book title and you can either buy it if it's shipping or say, send me this when it comes out. And I think the biggest problem is that no one knows which label their book is going to be on. Right. So they, it's just confusing. I think like it's, it's like when a certain movie studio gets pulled from iTunes or something yeah. or, or know, from Netflix, Netflix or right. whatever. You don't know that it's missing for that reason. Yeah, and or even when it's one that you kind of know. Like, I, probably a lot of people would know that Star Wars is 20th Century Fox, because everybody remembers that the, the 20th Century Fox fanfare before the Star Wars song, theme Right, song. or like everyone knows Pixar is Pixar or something like that. Yeah, and that they're owned by Disney now. Yeah. Certainly. I think that's pretty... That's another good common one. But nobody really thinks of that in time in terms of, am I going to be able to watch this? Like you never had to like in the old days when we'd go to Blockbuster to to rent a movie, you never thought, well, shit, I want to watch The Unforgiven, but that's that's Warner Brothers and uh, you know, and the Blockbuster doesn't have Warner Brothers movies, uh, so I guess I have yeah, to right. go to that go other to Hollywood video, yeah, where the Warner Brothers are, you know, and, yeah. And, 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 so yeah, that part of it is is, and I would say with books, it's even less so because it's those fanfares that make that stick in my mind. I mean, that's. I'm pretty sure the Unforgiven is is uh, Warner Brothers, um, but I certainly remember. You know, uh, there's a lot of movies where I remember the fanfare I saw before it. Whereas the little tiny publisher stamp on books, boy, I don't I don't know many books that I know which which of the big five publishers published it. No, definitely not. So I don't know. It I have trouble taking sides here, even as a you know potential someday book author like. I don't I don't I don't think I know enough about what's going on and that's the thing is I don't think anyone has actually said what they're specifically disagreeing about like it's vaguely has to do with pricing for ebooks or something like that Well but yeah it's who gets to pick the price of ebooks Yeah really is it the But like the details matter and I don't think anyone's actually revealed what the details are that I've seen I don't know Right Amazon wants them to be capped at 9.99 and you know Hashit and the other book publishers want to be able to sell new titles, you know, at whatever price they want. Um, you know, it, it is, it's pretty complicated and it's, you know, from- and, and with subscription coming into play now, it's going to get 
screwed up again. Yeah, totally going to get screwed up again. You know, go back to the early days of Netflix streaming when there were less than two good movies to watch. Like that's that's what the book book rental book subscription services look like now. Yeah. Imagine how that's going to have to go through all all kinds of crap now. Yeah. Uh, there's a long article that I, I haven't posted it during Fireball yet. I probably will by the time this that by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, Tomorrow, to probably already have posted it, but it, I haven't posted it because I haven't finished reading it yet. Uh, by a guy named Christopher Wright, who is an author, um, and he kind of—it's a big long argument, but it's—I think it has to be long because it's complicated. Sometimes, you know, when I write an article and it ends up real long, I think, am I am I just spouting off, or am I? Is it just that complex that it takes a lot of words to describe it? And I think in this case, his article is long because it is complex. Um. Which is mostly that, you know, Hashit is really not looking after readers or authors. They're looking after their own interests. And Amazon isn't really, you know, doing anything for the benefit of anybody else than Amazon. And that's just the way it is. And so whoever wins, it's it's not really going to be a victory for anybody but Hashit or Amazon. And it's probably going to be Amazon anyway because Hashit really doesn't have – Amazon's the one, op, you know, in a position of strength. And the big thing is that the downside – you know, the reason it may not be good for us as readers or even us as authors, you and I, um, for Amazon to win uh, isn't because lower prices are bad, because Amazon has a good, arg- uh, you know, a couple of good arguments and they're just common sense. One is that an ebook should be cheaper than a paper version because it, duh, it's cheaper to send bits than it is to cut down trees, turn them into paper, and print a book. Uh, and even Amazon has made this argument that because you have fewer rights with a digital version, an ebook, because it's locked by DRM and you can't resell it, you can't give it to somebody else. I can't, you know, you can take, if I buy a paper book, I can read it and then sell it to somebody else. You can't do it with an ebook. And I thought it was interesting that Amazon, which is, you know, the company putting the DRM on the books is even making the argument that, Hey, this makes them less valuable. Uh, and therefore they should cost less. Um, I think that's a common sense argument and it makes sense. Same way that a paperback should cost less than a hardcover edition because it's not as nice and it didn't cost as much to make. Um, And they also make the argument, Amazon, that it's, you know, in in terms of like authors and royalty, that they've shown through their own analysis of data that in general, like a book that is an e-book that's selling for $15, $14.99, of course, but call it $15.00. Uh, will sell X number of copies that a same book at ten dollars nine ninety nine uh, would sell like one point seven times as much, and therefore make more money and get seventy percent more readers. So you'd have more readers and you'd make more money because you'd, it would be more than the one point five that you would need to break even. Um, but that the big downside to the whole thing, if if Amazon wins and they probably will, is that. They're building an effective monopoly on on ebooks, and that it'll be ripe for abuse, and you know everybody will be at Amazon's uh, liberty in terms of you know ebook once they lock down the market. And I guess another missing part of the equation is what percentage of revenue and profits are still coming from thirty dollar hardcover books that you know you need to still somewhat justify the price for, yeah, without. Ten dollar ebooks. Yeah, one thing I've seen, and I've seen a lot of people. The the analogy to the there's a lot of people or the 
people on the side that it, that they should definitely be cheaper, maybe even a lot cheaper ebooks. Um, a lot of them are drawing on the, the analogy that paperbacks are relatively new to the book industry, you know, and I guess they they came to be popular in the 1930s. Um, it's not quite the same though. The analogy that it's like a third tier, like there used to just be hardcover editions, and then it was hardcover and paperback, and now it's hardcover, paperback, and eBooks. Um, the difference that I see though is one of like what do you call them? T- t- uh, frames, you know, the like opening weekend. What do you call that? Oh, windows. Windows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that you know the way that, to my knowledge, the you know. Bl- the major book publishers have worked is that new books only come out in hardcover. Like when Stephen King comes out with a new book, it doesn't come out in hardcover and paperback at the same time. And you can choose to save, you know, half the price by buying the paperback. If you want it when it's new, like when the new Harry Potter books came out and people lined up at midnight to buy them, you had to buy the hardcover, which was the more expensive version. And that the paperback came out, it was like home, you know, the same way that you can't buy most movies at the opening weekend. You have to wait. To get them, and ebooks don't seem to be like that. People want to get like if Stephen King has a new book and you want to read it on your Kindle, you get it on the same day that the hardcover comes out. Yeah, I think there was a period where they were trying to not have that available, but I think that that that's done. You know, yeah. they, so they have know. to do it. And I kind of see how you you know that the publishers. I kind of see it from the publisher's perspective that they should have a right to charge a premium while demand is at a premium. You know, that when the, right. die, you know, and again, you could say, well, they're just gouging their, the diehard fans, but you know, that's what pays to keep, you know, the books coming out. Like, I think if you really want to read it in an opening weekend, you want to read that new, you know, Stephen King novel, as soon as it comes out, they should be allowed to charge $17 for it. And then, you know, drop the price to nine ninety nine in the long run, you know, three months later, six months later, like same thing, like with movies coming out on home video. Yeah, and so many markets work like that, um, you know, and that demand is not necessarily gouging. Like it's being the f- among the first to get something right. is to many people worth more money, right? Because you know, if you know, if you're you know not that hell bent on reading it right away, or you already have a big stack of books in front of you, to, you know, that are waiting you to read, and you can wait, then you know you're going to pay a lower price. Same way that you know. If, it kind of works like that on iTunes. I don't know if it's on purpose, but so many new releases are only available for purchase, and then you can't rent them for you know whatever another month or something. Yeah, like that. And they always so, tell you you know available for rent on you know September twenty right, sixth. So I've, I've found myself buying movies that I don't actually want to own because I don't want to wait a month before they're four bucks. Right, but so, and then with a lot of other movies, I've found myself saying, I don't want to buy this. I know I just right. want to rent it, and I'm going to add it to my wish list. I'll come back to it you know, when it comes out for rent. Yeah, right. I've done the same thing. Where like, There's some movies where I, I want to see it right away, and I know that maybe I'll only watch it once, but I'll pay the $14.99 to buy it. Yep. Yeah, I so I kind of see the, you know, the thinking there. I, I'm guessing... I think, like in those rentals, I, I know Apple has limits on that, but I, you know, in some movies, some and some movies too, they cost more to rent. You know, there's there's new editions that I've seen that uh, uh, cost five ninety nine to rent, and I think there's sometimes with the ones that are still in theaters, it's six ninety nine to rent it. Yeah, I think one was like ten bucks. Yeah, um, so I think Apple gives the, the you know the the studios or whoever it is, you know, if it's like an independent motion picture, whoever controls the rights to the movie, they give them some pricing control on the rental and purchase price. 
And that's the big thing that sticks, I think, in a lot of the publishers' craws with Amazon is that Amazon wants to just have unilateral control over the price of their stuff. And that's it is how Amazon's app store works. You can like set like a suggested price, but if when you have an app in the Amazon store, if they decide they want to sell it for 99 cents, they just sell it for 99 cents. And you get your 30% of that. And I, you know, it hasn't had a big effect on the app industry because the Amazon app store is a relatively small player in mobile apps, but in terms of eBooks, you know, the Kindle store is dominant probably you know a monopoly yeah although it's not a monopoly i think i think in legal terms it's a monopsony right which is different and confusing but i think has different it might give them a lot more leeway in terms of antitrust laws you know and and that whole weird thing that frustrated a lot of us with the apple ebooks case which has cost them hundreds of millions of dollars in legal fees where apple which at a sliver of the ebook case is the company that got taken to court by the Department of Justice and lost hundreds of millions of dollars in fees for colluding with the uh, the book publishers. And Amazon, the company that has the monopsony, the overwhelming majority uh, of ebook sales, uh, you know, is under no has hasn't received any scrutiny at all. Here's the d- dictionary definition. Yeah. Great work, guys. Monopsony, a market situation in which there is only one buyer, right? And that's – because that's the thing is that it's not that they have a monopoly on book sales because there's these five publishers that have all the – you know, it's it's that they sell the books not really directly to the customer. They sell them to Amazon and Amazon resells them to people and that they're really – effectively without Amazon, there is no ebook market. I don't know if that's quite – true to say, but it would be interesting to see. I've seen very different percentages from very different people when they've published, like how many of their book sales come from Amazon, ebook sales come from Amazon versus iTunes and Kobo and and who else? Whoever else. Sony? Nook? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anything else? What else you got? Uh, You know, I've just been enjoying the summer. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, getting in the weeds on a few topics. Uh, I think my best post last week was about how AOL still has a, <laughs> a large, profitable dial-up business. I saw that. Uh, it's uh, actually, I think one of the more interesting posts I've done recently was looking at uh, Google Apps and how successful they've been at stealing the startup and growing the the kind of mid-sized company uh ranks uh that you know should be microsoft customers for exchange and and all their enterprise stuff and you know microsoft is effectively betting the company on the cloud and oh i saw that post i didn't yeah i saw that and uh that was an interesting post yeah so you what you did is um you guys looked at the mx records yeah, so I I picked 150 companies. Um, so the the 50, the Fortune 50, so the biggest 50 companies in by, the United by States by market cap, right? Isn't that how uh, the Fortune 50 is? Something like that. Yeah, I think it's market cap. Uh, it's either market cap or or revenue. Yeah, yeah. I think it's market cap. Um, and then f- 50 companies from the last Y Combinator class. Those were like the startups, the tiniest companies, and then this mid-level tier, which were uh, 
very scientifically chosen. They were the, the first 50 companies that I thought of that were mid-sized, <laughs> ranging from uh, Tesla to – so they were public and private companies including Dropbox, Twitter, right. Tesla. Uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but, but companies, companies like, like that. that. Yeah. And of the of the hugest companies, you know, the ones that that were, you know, stereotypical enterprise companies, uh, of those fifty, only one of them used Google apps for their email, and that was Google. Uh, <laughs> I, you so know what, good I feel, job there. I I laugh, but when I was reading the article, I remember thinking, "Ooh, I wonder who the one is." Who yeah, did that? and I swear to God, and then you say it was Google. I was like, oh. Duh. That, yeah. It was like the ultimate – it was a type of trick question where I pride myself on on being able to think, oh, it's got to be Google. And I, yeah. did, I did not get that. I, well, and you know, there's caveats like maybe some wing of one of these companies uses Google apps for right. some stuff. Or right. maybe you know, maybe everyone uses their personal Gmail at the office. But it's, it's, a, it's, yeah, a, it's a fair test though, I think. Yeah, it was, it was universal. You know, I, I looked up the MX records for 150 companies and – and so the you know the startup the Y Combinator I think it was like all but four or, or six of them used Google. That's a little surprising to me too that it was that high. I mean, it's not surprising. Yeah, it was, like it was pretty ninety two percent. So it was like all but uh, I don't know because it's not know. that hard to you know uh, forty six. So all but four of them. Um, Used Google, and I think one of them might have been used. So Outlook was showing up in these results occasionally. So, like the you know theoretically, Microsoft's okay. answer to Google Apps would be cloud-based Outlook. Um, I, so that was showing up in some of them. I'm I'm a little surprised it was as high as ninety two percent because it's not that hard to run your own mail server. You know, with like a you know right. the way you run like yeah. a, a you know that you get a lot of it for free from like a web host and, and you sign up for whatever. Dreamhost or something, and, yeah. and they'll run your IMAP for you. Uh, um, well, surprised. a lot of those web hosts have been kicking that off to Google because right. it it used to be free, right. and because that's a huge you know monkey off their back because hosting email is probably not fun for any of those companies in terms of support and that and kind I'm of stuff. All, I'm also surprised. Maybe it just speaks to my mindset, but I'm a little surprised that a lot of those companies wouldn't switch off, even if they were using it when they were at the three guys in a garage stage that they didn't switch off once they could, you know, hire like a sysadmin yeah. that they wouldn't say, Hey, let's run our own mail servers for the paranoia aspect of that. An awful right. lot of those companies have negotiated with Google for like, Hey, maybe Google wants to acquire us or maybe we need to work with them. And do you really trust Google? Not. Yeah. To- or even security stuff. Like, do we trust Google to. Right. So the most interesting part, though, was the those mid-tier companies, and that's where 60% of them used Google Apps, um, and that includes Twitter. It includes both Dropbox and Box. Both of them use Google um, for their email, and, and those are, you know, as I wrote in the piece, like those would be potential competitors even, you know, like yeah. Dropbox, Already probably has a and box you know has pretty good uh, enterprise sales for their storage services so maybe they should offer email hosting too who knows um, but that was really surprising so it's not that you know Microsoft still has a huge hold over the biggest um, 
enterprise customers. But the the the, the growing companies, you know, Microsoft's future customers seem to be really uh, sticking with Google. So uh, we'll see. You know, Microsoft still has, I think, like ninety percent of the revenue in that in the email hosting market. I think that's what they told me, something around that range. So, or maybe ninety-five percent, or, or no, it's because Microsoft or uh, what's it called? IBM Lotus also still has some. So maybe it was like eighty percent Microsoft, but it was still very strong, dominating position. Yeah. Uh, but revenue is not important to Google. They're not in the email apps business for the money. They're doing it for the control. Right. You know, the money Google gets all the money they need from search advertising. Um, which is well, another... but I do think though I because it, everybody knows that, that they don't they I mean they've admitted I mean they say that they they scan your email to show uh, contextual ads right related and that to generates the... money um, and, and and from like I you know my be, being my able to scan your email to get your to build their profile of you uh, is got to be a huge source of accuracy for the the targeted ads that they show. True, and the fact that you're logging in for your email means you're logged in right. while you're doing searches. Right. But even beyond that, like my understanding is that they actually are running Google Apps as a business now. Like they're not trying to lose a lot of money on right. it, um, which is one of the reasons they got rid of the free tier and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's it's still I think less than ten percent of I think ninety percent of Google's revenue is still advertising, but it's still. I think ten. I think now other is ten percent or something like that. So, growing. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting. It was you know I was I, I would you know I was in the command line like searching MX records and I would see, wow, this big ass company is still using Gmail. That's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, and I think that there's a. Um, it's hard to make a man understand something that his job depends on him not understanding. Sort of angle to. Uh, you know, once a company, all, everybody had to have email at some internet-based email at some point in the '90s. It became just as, you know as essential as having telephone lines into your company. And for a lot of them, they might have already had internal email based on you know I don't know whatever antiquated Microsoft or Lotus crap that they had, and then they had to install gateways to the internet, and it was all convoluted and crazy. But it all required a big, large IT staff. And then doing right. doing anything like when you're a startup, not having anybody who has to worry about the email server is great because you you know you can concentrate on the thing that is you're trying to build, and you can save on your headcount, and it really matters even if it's just one person because you're lean and mean and you're starting. Whereas if you're already the IT staff with a full time IT job at you know Procter and Gamble or something like that, you're not going to make decisions on what products and services to buy based on well now we can we can get rid of us we can yeah right right we can make this choice that would uh, obviate the need for our jobs totally yeah and so many of those enterprise deals are you know yeah you get an exchange server but you also get uh office license for everyone in the company and windows and all this stuff so it's a huge deal that's beyond the scope of just email and, and and outlook uh but you know the companies that are starting as three-person startups now and are growing into right. so some of the company i just pulled up the the spreadsheet some of the companies that are still google customers you know were less than 10 people a few years ago and those are like airbnb um uh warby parker tumblr right. you know all these companies are still using google apps 
despite the fact that they are worth billions of dollars. Now. Isn't it? So, is Tumblr? Yeah. Isn't that kind of crazy if you think about yeah. it? Given that they're owned by Yahoo. Yeah, and well, they've also maintained a pretty. Yeah, but that's still a little crazy. Like they still have their own office. It's a little crazy. But yeah, Tumblr, um, uh, a bunch of boring ones. Like Etsy does. uh, You know, and one of the it's one of those things too where it's there's no real. It's not that you can't migrate, but it's a pain in the ass because oh yeah, totally. You know, you've got to somehow download all of your email from Google and put it somewhere and then upload it to the other, you know, like if, if like, for example, Tumblr wanted to switch to Yahoo mail or something like that. And yeah, the truth know. is with that I one, I think I looked up what Yahoo itself uses, but I'm, uh, I would bet that it's not Gmail. Right. Yeah. Um, I would guess not. But on the, on the other hand too, is the simple fact that Gmail is objectively better than Yahoo mail. And, you know, it's, it's a good sign. I guess it shouldn't be that surprising. It's a good sign that, Tumblr is allowed to stay on Gmail. You know, it wasn't by yeah. by edict forced to do it because it would have been a shit sandwich to everybody at Tumblr. It's like, look, right? Yeah, we're going to Yahoo. No, nothing's going to change. Also, your email is going to be Yahoo Mail. It's like, uh, you know, I I quit. <laughs> uh, I wonder what Beats Music is on. Ooh, good question. That's a really I'm not going to look it up now. Yeah. No, don't look it up now. But that's be no. a good follow up. Yeah, there you go. Because I wonder if they're on Gmail, I wonder if that would be. Allowed. I think Apple's ex- are they still on Exchange at Apple? I don't know. No, I don't think they use Exchange. I think they're just uh, like simp- you know, straight, yeah. straight Unix uh, IMAP. I think could be. I could look at the headers from an email. Yeah, I know that's what I was email. doing. I don't know if that's <laughs> here. Here's an email from Apple. Oh, apparently the iWatch is coming on September 9th. <laughs> Where's the show headers? Oh, I see. Oracle Communications Messaging Server. Yeah. I don't so know that's what... not Exchange. No. Yeah, that's what I see too. Oracle Communication Messaging Server. All right. So there we go. Good. There you go. Oracle. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Larry Ellison. It's, can you imagine how that deal got done? <laughs> yeah. There was, a, there was a yacht involved. Yeah. <laughs> Two people. Yeah. <laughs> You're moving your email. To Oracle. Yeah. Um, anything else? What else you got? Cubs are, are decent again. <laughs> what? Are they? I missed that, if that's true. No, they're, they're well, they're in last place, but they just called up the number one prospect. And so he, he hit a game-winning home run his first day. His first major league hit was a game-winning home run. What is he, What position does he play? Uh, I think he's playing second. I think he's a shortstop. Naturally. Oh, I've Baez. heard about him. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about him. So I've been watching the games and it's finally exciting. They're they're not going to be good, probably for a year or two. I'm guessing 2016 is you got when faith? they have a shot. You got faith though. You think they're on the right well, track? Well, no. I mean, come on. I I've I've now gotten to the point where I'm just you know we'll, we'll see what ha- show me the actual World Series like NLC like when they were in the NLCS. I was still very skeptical. You, you know, when you grew up with this, you're like, right. and it's kind of spread over into. Kind of how I see all kinds of stuff, but it's just we'll see we'll see when it actually happens. But it's you know exciting to watch because I used to love watching games, and they've just been so bad for so long that I haven't even bothered. Like yeah. I didn't even sign up for MLB TV this year until last week. So, do you get a discount on that? Uh, no, because I did the monthly, which I think is always going to be oh, the same price. Right. But if you sign up for the year, I don't know. But you should. 
Yeah. Oh, it's great. Well, it's a fantastic deal for me. I've said this over and over. I mean, if you if your favorite team is out of town, it's an amazing deal. If your favorite team oh, is in great. town, it's it's questionable. They should they should have a different tier. They should have like a tier for people who are fans of the in in game in town team where you pay less, but you can only watch so many games a year. Because like, and then when you go on vacation, you can watch. Well, what they did was the Yankees did a deal with. I think one of the cable providers. So you could sign up for MLB TV, but you had to pay through some, maybe through the, I don't know. It was crazy. It was like, and it was more expensive. I think (laughs) this is one of those things where you're like, these guys are not thinking about their customers at all. And, but it was some weird thing. I think with cable vision, maybe where you could sign up. I don't know. Obviously I didn't do it, but, you know, I'll tell you, I don't, I'm not just saying this because you're a friend and you're a frequent guest on the show, uh, but I mean it, is that in, in the last couple of months, I, I've found more and more good stuff at uh, Quartz. Yeah, we're we're trying hard. We, uh, we're expanding. There's an opening on my team if you want to be a science writer Ooh. in New York. Um, and we're also working on getting someone in San Francisco to write tech for us. So, but it's, it's great. I really like it. You know, I... I uh, I wasn't really looking for a day job, but I found a great one, and I'm really happy there. And there is really good stuff on the site. Yeah, I have a I have a piece. I haven't posted it yet. It's it will probably be the first post tomorrow. Queued up uh, by Lily. Is it Quo? K U O. I guess so. Um, on the Chinese regulation of social media, it's on uh, Quartz. Really good article. I thought. I have not read that one yet, so Good I'm going to have to well, check it out. Well, wait till it. Yeah. Find it on Daring Fireball. I will. Because then it'll show up in your referral. Anyway, good <laughs> stuff there. Dan is, uh, uh, I think, killing it over there. Uh, so it, It's been fun. At it's the good Q, to be back in the saddle. At the QZ.com. Um, and uh, City Notes, of course, is still a thing. Yeah, we should have a new app out sometime this year. Um, hopefully sooner than the end of the year. So yeah. stay tuned for that. Yeah, same time but, as the Moto 270. Yeah, right. Just follow me on Twitter, Frome Dome, and uh, you'll get updates on all the stuff yeah. that I'm working on. All right. Well, that's great. So thanks for being here. And, Thank uh, you. Uh, talk to you soon.